Big Sills. Good Friday. Good Friday to all. Hope you have a blessed weekend, man. This is Easter weekend, one of my favorite weekends. Tones like this, he's like, great eating this weekend. Isn't it always cool when you get around the holidays? You know what the holidays do for me? It's time to reminisce about the best things about your life and your family. Good times, being together, food, friends, family, all of that. Easter around my family is one of the biggest times of the year, man. I mean, it just brings back great memories. You know, that's that's kind of why we listen to our favorite songs over and over and over again. You know why? It puts us in a good place. It's why you watch your favorite movies. You know, the guys the other day were talking about their favorite sports movies. Why do you watch them 100 times? Puts you in a good place. That's why we do all that stuff repetitively. You know, it's funny. Someone goes, so what's your favorite movie? I go, The Godfather. They go, why? Because it's about family. Someone goes, family and murder? Not, not, not so much that end of it. But the family part of it. That's why we do all those things. Man, we are packed today on this Good Friday. Phil Sims will join us at 4.30. Then we will have Mike Lombardi join us. Former general manager, and you hear him in Philly on WIP all the time. He will join us at 5.30, and we are going to talk about the particulars with Jalen Hurts. A couple things I want to hit on and clarify. We always do that like 24 hours after yesterday's show. So, you know what's funny? Oh, wait, wait. I got to get to my Tiger Woods story here, and you're not going to believe how I met Tiger. Now, we lived in Orlando, my wife and I, God, for a long time. Tampa, Orlando, we used to commute back and forth because my show was syndicated in both cities for 15 years. And so over the years, it's how I knew Doc Rivers. So over the years, I got a chance to meet numerous people. Arnold Palmer was a friend of ours. And we would go to the Bay Hill Invitational. Remember when the tournament was called Bay Hill? Now they've named it after his passing the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So I get a call. Tone, listen to these three people. I get a call, and I became friends with J.J. Redick, who played for the Magic. And I became friends. He used to come on my show all the time. All the time. I, I, I think either Tuesdays or Thursdays, J.J. Redick used to come on the show with me. Because we, we aired Magic games. I think on my show, we had Magic, Bucks, Rays, Lightning. I, th I think that's what it was. We, and we had somebody from those, from those teams that would come on our program. Like Derek Brooks used to come on my program. So one night, I get, I get a call from J.J. Redick. Check this out. So, Tone, listen. He goes, hey, meet me at the Blue Martini. And I go, okay, I'll meet you. There was a, was a bar in, in Orlando. He goes, meet me at the Blue Martini. I want to introduce you to somebody. So I go back. There's a, there's a private room at the Blue Martini. I used to go there all the time. I enjoyed it. I see J.J. Reddick. He gives me a hug. He goes, now listen, no pictures, no nothing. Come on in. So I walk into the room. There's a bunch of dudes in the room, and there's Tiger. So it's Tiger Woods, and the other guy in the room was Spud Webb. <laughs> Dude, 
Dan Cilio, Tiger Woods, J.J. Redick, and Spud Webb. Okay? I'm in the Blue Martini and back in his VIP room with these guys. And this was when Tiger was, I think this was pre-November golf club upside the head. Okay? This is like when this guy was still like the guy, right? I go over, I meet him, man. He's I think he's a cool dude. little nerdy, but that's all right, you know? Went to Stanford. What do you expect? He's, you know, those guys are nerds. That's all right. So J.J. Reddick goes, yeah, no pictures, man. He's really a little sensitive to the pictures. I go, Spud Webb? <laughs> he's like, what, you don't want to meet Spud? I go, no, this guy's a slam dunk champion. I'm good. I go, but Spud Webb? I go, bro, if I told this story a hundred times, a hundred people would go, you're full of shit. I'm like, I need pictures. He goes, just get me on the program. So three nights ago, I bring it up because it's Masters Week. I go, bro, you got to come on the program. So next week, we're going to get J.J. Reddick on. I'm like, dog, you got to tell the Tiger story. (laughs) You got to tell the Tiger story. So we're sitting around. We're drinking and shit. And Tiger's got like a hundred dudes around him. Legitimately, there's like a bunch of people in here. And we're sitting, of course, he picks the tab up and everything. It was a great night, but Dan Cilio, Spud Webb, J.J. Reddick at the Blue Martini in Orlando, Florida. How you doing? <laughs> I, came, I went on the air the next day, and everyone was like this. Seals, you're full of shit. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you. So J.J. came on that Thursday or Tuesday, whatever it was, and he goes, yeah, man. Fun time, huh? And I go, bro, I walk in, there's Tiger. I'm like, holy shit, there's... <laughs> and get this, I'm not this dude. I'm not this dude. I go, holy shit, it's Tiger. <laughs> I said that out loud, and everyone in the room starts laughing. I go, holy shit, it's Tiger. He starts laughing, and I I, I was stunned, man. I, I, was, I was absolutely stunned. Hey, <laughs> I know. Hey, turn that scene into a movie. Tone, you should have heard me. Holy shit, it's Tiger. <laughs> everyone started laughing. Like I said, must have been 100 people in the room, and everyone started howling. Holy shit, it's Tiger. Oh, my God, man. So, JJ, hey, by the way, we're working on Doug Peterson next week, too. We're working on Doug Peterson through my back channels. See, I, 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 I lost Doug Peterson's number, head coach of the Jags. So, guess what I did? Of course, hey, Frank. Can you hook? Can you hook a brother up? He's like, "What do you not? What do you want now?" And I go, "I need Doug Peterson's number." He's like, "Listen, let me reach out to Doug first. So he texts me last night. He goes, "We're not going to go stupid into Howie bashing when he's on, are we?" I go, "What would ever give you? What would ever give you that notion, Frank? That I would ever take a shit on Howie using Doug Peterson?" He goes, "Sills." <laughs> And like many of you say, you know what he said? Sills, leading the witness. And I'm like, man, my reputation is not a good one. Frank's like, promise me. And I went like this, Frank, I promise you. And he goes, no, 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 no. Say you're not going to bash Howie if Doug comes on. I go, and I did this. Look, I put my head down and went, I promise. (laughs) Oh man! <laughs> Tone goes. 
Dan's like, trust me. <laughs> hey, trust me. <laughs> oh, man. Frank's like, dude, you can't do that, man, because Doug will kick my ass. I, he will not. I swear to you, I will not bash Howie or the Eagles. <laughs> so Frank starts doing this. He goes, dude, you got to. How about if you don't bring the Eagles? I go, I have to bring the Eagles up. He goes, look, you got to promise me. Because Doug doesn't, Doug, Doug likes many of those folks. I go, so he likes many of those folks. Is how we included in that mix. See, here's where we run into a road stop. <laughs> oh man. So I've, I've got to probably see, I'm being, I'm being vetted right now <laughs> for Doug. I'm being vetted by the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. So I'm sure the vetting process will go on tonight and tomorrow uh, to see if we can clear him on coming on the program next week. I'm, I'm personally being vetted by my friend and head coach of the Panthers. The things I do for you guys, I have to promise. And get this, I have to promise not to bash the – when do I ever bash the Eagles? <laughs> How come my eyes twitching? I don't know. How come, how come my eyes switching <laughs> as you should? I'm being vetted. I don't know what the hell's going on here. Why would Big Sills be vetted anyway? All right. Just to put some loose ends together here and tie them up here. Someone asked me a question after the program yesterday about Will Anderson when we were talking about potentially trying to move up to get the guy if he falls out of the top three. Um. They asked me to compare him to a player. And I said, okay, would you draft Cornelius Bennett and put him on your team? And you know what Cornelius did? He liked the tweet. I compared him to Cornelius Bennett, seven-time Pro Bowler, defensive player of the year, guy who went to five conference championships and won them. Would you want Cornelius Bennett on your football team? Would you want Biscuit on your team? He liked it. Cornelius thinks he's a lot like him. Would you want Cornelius Bennett on your team or Jerome Brown? Would you want one of the would you want one of those two players? I say Jalen Carter looks like Jerome to me. And I also think that Will Anderson reminds me of Cornelius Bennett. How about this? You've never had an outside linebacker that's remotely close to Cornelius Bennett. If it wasn't for Derek Thomas, well, I think Bennett's a better player than Derek Thomas. Derek Thomas is a better pass rusher, for sure. But get this, Michael Parsons ain't better than Cornelius Bennett. <laughs> nah, not close. Not close. Greasy goes high praise. You're damn right. And guess what? From my friend, who is a dear friend of mine, Cornelius Bennett, look at my Twitter page, at Dan Cilio Show. He liked it and agreed. Will Anderson reminds him of himself. That's not Dan Cilio saying it. That's Cornelius Biscuit Bennett saying it. Let's do this. 
Would you move up for Cornelius Bennett? If you, Cornelius Bennett thinks he reminds him of himself. Okay? Cornelius Bennett. Let's just take a look at that for a second here and see what he accomplished. Of course, he's a Bama guy. Six-time Pro Bowler. All-decade player. Ricky, all-Ricky. On the Bills' 50th anniversary team. Southeastern Conference Player of the Year. Lombardi winner. Three-time All-American. Five-time conference champion. 71 and a half sacks. College Football Hall of Famer. Should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Played in 206 games and started 204 games. Would you want that guy on your team? Would you trade up to the fourth pick to get Bennett? Would would you would you trade up to get Biscuit? Who in their right mind wouldn't? Who in their right mind wouldn't? And Cornelius agrees with me. Yeah, he reminds me of myself. So it's not just Dan Cilio. Cornelius Bennett says it. Yeah, that guy shows the same characteristics that I had when I played at Alabama too. The only other player that was better than him on that Bills team was Bruce Smith. My opinion, it probably went Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, and then Daryl Talley. Those were the three best players on that defense that went to four straight Super Bowls. And people are like, I'll take Miles Murphy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm sitting at 10. He falls to four. Go get his ass. Miles Murphy. Hey, and Daryl Talley's a dear friend of mine. Both those guys, man. Those guys are my boys, man. We talk all the time. Daryl's not doing as well, though, obviously. Dementia's starting to set in, but it's all good, man. We talk a lot. It's funny. Not that I like to bring it up. Dude, I have to, though, since we brought Daryl Talley. So that whole thing back in 2012 with the, with the monkey thing on the air, Talley calls me up and goes, me too? He goes, shut up. <laughs> he starts laughing going, dude, only the media people are going to make a big deal of it. You know all of us love you. And I said, thanks, man. Oh, man, I love Daryl Talley. He's been on the program too. So is Biscuit. He's been on the program. I just love those guys so much. What great football players too. Talley was a bitch at West Virginia, man. He could play. That's another great football player. Tell Tally can he knocked dudes out, man. He did. Cornelius Bennett's a superstar. And for him to say that Will Anderson reminds him of himself, and I'm sitting here telling you, would you trade up the four to get him? And you guys are like, no, take Miles Murphy or Brian Branch. I'm like, well, Brian Branch is not Ed Reed. <laughs> okay. He's not Ed Reed, and I'm not taking a safety at 10. It's not happening. 
Okay? God says, Seals, do you think that Kansas being overhyped? No. The problem with him, I said it yesterday, the kid from Pitt, is this. He's the third best D tackle in the draft. This, It's this. He's, he's an undersized height-wise, but he probably will be an exceptionally productive guy. Like, watch this. Put him in a three technique next to Jordan Davis in that eagle line. He's a three technique. He's not a one technique. The kid can't see from Pitt's a three technique. He's not a run stopper. He's going to get you sacks. That's maybe the kind of guy you want to go after. He's a, he's a three technique. And Jordan Davis is the um, zero technique. Okay? People forget the Eagles can play around with their 2024 and 25 draft picks to move up for Will Anderson, how he's up to something. I'm going to tell you this right now, too, by the way. All the compensation picks they're going to get next year, they're going to get a ton of them. And and get this. If Jalen Carter – look, here, I said this to you guys. The two best players that they could draft are B. John Robinson. They're not going to do that. They'll pass on them. They shouldn't, but I think those two players will be there at 10. Or somewhere – how about this? I think those two players will be within reach. Is that fair? I think they'll be within reach at 10. Is that fair? They'll be within reach for them to make a move. The rest of these guys, I don't I don't believe this is a, I believe it's a solid draft. I don't believe there's wild guys in it, except for Robinson, Carter, and maybe the kid from Texas Tech. I tweeted that out. Tyree Wilson, maybe him too. Okay. Four two two six says Sills. Mozzie Smith, is that the kid from uh, Michigan? I think the kid Breezy's a little better. I think the kid Breezy's a little better than him. Um, is in in this draft. Have you checked him out? I have. Look, I don't think Breezy and Smith are that far off one another. I think it's just like maybe desserts, whether you like apple pie or cherry pie. So I think they're kind of right there. Okay. See, to me though, four two two six in today's NFL. You've got to have a flexible D-line to be able to go 50 front, 3 front, wide 9, wide 7. 34-43. I think they like these hybrid guys now that they can slide into 3s, 1s, and 0 techniques and then put guys in wide 9s and 7s and 6s. I think that's what that's what more defensive coordinators want to do today because there's more disguising now on the defensive side of the football. You've got to be way – how about this? I think you've got to be way more creative as a defensive coordinator on that side of the ball than you do even on the offensive side because you're limited on what you can do and how you can defend. So I think you've got to be more open and more open to multiple fronts and multiple looks on that side of the ball because it's too complex. Dude, you can't hit people anymore. You can barely sack them. You know what I'm saying? You can barely sack them. All right, let's get into the topics. By the way, we're loaded, as I said. Phil Sims, 430. Mike Lombardi at 530. Um, 
what do you guys I got two Jalen Hurts topics. What do you think is the best explanation on why we're seeing Jalen Hurts and his development and how it's progressing at this pace? I think there's three things. Like 12 months ago, 18 months ago, as I said yesterday, I've never seen anything like it. We were talking whether or not he was a quarterback in the NFL last year. Now we're talking about $50 million, which is incredible. Think about that. You're talking whether or not you're going to have – how we got two number ones for what reason? To debate drafting a safety or Miles Murphy? And, and by the way, I don't mean to pick on Miles Murphy. <laughs> He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's a good football player. Okay, he's he's a good player. So, I mean, I'm just, okay. You don't get two ones to go get a, a D tackle or an offensive tackle. You got two because you weren't sure because you knew that the quarterback pool was going to be pretty deep this year. That's why you went out and got two. Number ones. They were going to take a quarter. They were sold they were going to take a quarterback. They didn't know that Jalen would progress this much. Peter says work ethic. Peter, I think that that comment, and no disrespect to you, if you don't have a good work ethic coming into the NFL, why are are you congratulating Jalen Hurts for not robbing a bank? Work ethic? $50 million? How the hell did you get to the NFL? How'd you get to the position that you're in? I'm not going to celebrate a guy for doing something that's expected of you. Work ethic? I don't know. How the hell do you think you're going to be great if you don't have a great work ethic? I get what you're saying. Look, not everybody has it. There's there's suspect thoughts on Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis on work ethic. I get it. I, I understand that. But to me, to debate that stuff, dude, isn't that something that's supposed to be a given if we're talking about franchise quarterbacks? It's one thing to put that label on a DT that's fat and out of shape. It's another thing to sit around and debate a $50 million quarterback and debate his work ethic. Hey, and I know where you're going with it. The guy, Kyler Murray, dude, if I got to put, let me put this in there to you. Steve Kine came out and said, you know, I wish a kid studied more. Where in the world did you come up with $46 million then? So the kid doesn't want to study, but you gave him the money? He doesn't take the game serious enough that he needs to be watching more game film and getting better and working on his skill set? I guess that's work ethic too. So the Cardinals still gave him the money? Man, what are you thinking? So you gave a lazy guy 46 million bucks a year. That's why the Cardinals are the Cardinals. The Cardinals are the Cardinals because they gave a guy, Steve Kime, the former general manager of the Cardinals was on a podcast saying, I wish he'd study more. So you gave a lazy dude $46 million a year. You get what you deserve there in Arizona. So the guy doesn't want to be the first one in, last one out. Shit, he's not the captain of your team then. That guy's the first dude off the boat, the first guy to blame. 
That's not a guy that's going to lead you to anything. Okay? He's not going to lead you anywhere. Tone says you got to remember, there are a lot of guys that get by on talent alone. There's one example of it in Arizona. You got to give credence to work ethic. Jesus, Tone, I guess takes no athletic ability to be a hardworking guy. And, and you're not wrong, Tone. I'm just saying, man, I've got to hope you're getting to the NFL because you work hard. Shit, dude. I don't want that to be part of the process. That's what made Jordan so ex- exceptional. He was the hardest working star on the Bulls. And the greatest – dude, when you get the greatest player in the history of basketball and the greatest – worker of all time i guess they're diamonds in the rough i just guess they're diamonds in the rough steve kime gave kyler 46 million then jump ship you guys and then yeah you guys figure it out hey jonathan gannon you got a guy who doesn't want to work hard man what a culture shock that much hey think about this that must be a massive culture shock to jonathan gannon going from the eagles to the cardinals and walking in that building and seeing how lazy everyone is because I've seen it personally. I went from a college coach who ended up winning three Super Bowls four years later to the Buccaneers. I couldn't believe the environment. It took the air out of the room. I went from a place where everything was expected to be great and win to a place that everyone was waiting for the shoe to fall. There's nothing like being in a shitty environment like that. Jonathan Gannon must have walked into the Arizona Cardinals and what a culture shock that must have been for him. Walking into a place where no one works hard. You know why no one works hard there? Because if your quarterback's not working hard, why should I just give me the paycheck? So you got a, you got a $20 million wide receiver and you got a quarterback who doesn't like to study in Arizona. You think they're going anywhere? Of course they're not. So... I get it. You're not wrong. I guess with today's athletes, hey, congratulations. Listen how it sounds. Hey, congratulations for being a hard worker. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Listen how stupid that sounds. Congratulations for being a hard worker, Jalen. And again, it's not on him. I just guess it's today that you have to throw that out there. Congratulations on being a hard worker. Okay. Here are the three biggest reasons that I think you're seeing the ascent of Jalen Hurts. And I don't think you would see his ascent as rapidly as you're seeing if you didn't have these three things. I think the offensive line he has is the number one factor in why he's growing and getting better and better and better and better. You have a Hall of Fame center and two bookend tackles. Two bookend tackles in a Hall of Fame center. The center is probably the second most important person in the offensive huddle. Why? He sets the front. He sets the protection. He has the ball in his hands just as much as Jalen Hurts does. He controls the blocking assignments. Jalen does the audibles. It's up to, can you imagine the lesson he's getting in protection? 
and reading defenses, where do you think he's getting his best from Tom House? No. From Jason Kelsey. Kelsey sets the fronts, sets the blocking protection. Jalen's now seeing it. That's why you're hearing Kelsey go, I got to play more time with this kid. It's really fun playing with him. It's really fun playing with him. I think Jason Kelsey is the most important player in Jalen Hurts' development, more so than even A.J. Brown. Why? You got you to gotta set the front first. You got to know who to block. There's no doubt that Brown is essential and his passing has gone up. But what has made the Eagles great over these last two years for them to keep continuing that ascent is because you have two amazing bookend tackles and a Hall of Fame center that takes so much of the burden off of Jalen Hurts. Tone says this also. These players are given so much as early as it you see in their young careers. Committed workers are hard to come by. It's crazy to say that, but I guess, and you're right. Jason Kelsey is the most important person to Jalen Hurts. How many times do you think Jason Kelsey must have said like this in early part of Jalen Hurts being the offensive guy in that huddle. And and Jalen, because you run the RPO, Jalen's got so much to read. Audibling into pass protection, adding one more dynamic. God, man, wow, is he smart. But Kelsey helps with that progress. I got the protections. Don't worry about the protections. Read the safety. Read the linebackers. Read the mic. You take the RPO, I got the blocking assignments. And then all of a sudden, Jalen starts seeing it, seeing how Kelsey – Kelsey also was a play caller out there. You got two – you got really three play callers involved in a play. Kelsey set in the front, Jalen deciding on RPO, and Steichen a year ago, now Brian Johnson, sitting here, put the foundation in and the guardrails for each and every individual play. That's incredible. And and, and Steve, I get the father early on, and then Riley, and then some of the coaches he had at Bama. I'm I'm talking about right now. Look at where we were 12 months ago. You tell me, who do you think was a more important player in Jalen Hurts' development? Jason Kelsey or A.J. Brown? I think it's Kelsey. You got to know who to block first. The toughest thing that quarterbacks struggle with is what? Pressure. Pressure. Finding the blitzer. How many times did you watch Carson Wentz not be able to figure out pressure? It wasn't whether or not you were finding wide receivers Went struggles with pressure. He struggles with pressure. Almost every quarterback that bombs struggles with pressure. Kelsey, man, those three dudes in that old line, shit, say Amalo a year ago too. Man. 
I, by the way, I think A.J. Brown, I'm not saying he's not elevated the game of Hurts. He has. Two most important people, though, are Kelsey and then A.J. Brown in the development of this kid and why we're talking completely different than we were 12 months ago. You know, this it's funny. April 7th of a year ago versus April 7th today, is, is it's mind-numbing. Where you are talking about, by the way, we're going to talk to Phil and with Mike Lombardi. One year, you've seen enough to give him a seven-year contract. One year. One year. You've seen enough to give him a seven-year contract. It's one year. First year was okay. Last year was great. And remember, you have history. You saw Carson Wentz have an MVP season. And here you are again, history repeating itself. Will you choose right this time? Will you choose right? You did it the last time. Are you sure? Are you more sure now? Remember something, before you say all that, well, I know now, yeah, this is it. Hey, the Eagles gave Carson Wentz a ton of money, $38 million a year. $38 million a year. Okay, $38 million he gave him. And he had more than kind of one year before you gave him that contract. And he had a much better year than Jalen. Think about that. He had a better year than Jalen Hurts, the Super Bowl season. He was better that year than Jalen. He was. And you gave him the money. Are you sold off of one year that he's your guy? All things pointing up. I thought Wentz was going to be the guy too. Okay, I, I did. I thought Wentz was going to be the guy too. You were all sold then. It's funny, man, all the media people now on how they dog Wentz. You know why they dog Wentz? Because early on they were praising Wentz, so now they got to trash him. And they forgot their takes. That's why they don't want to change their take now. So what they do is they shit on him. Instead of just going back and remembering what they said about him, instead of telling the truth. I, I was one of those guys. I, I thought he was on his way to becoming the next Brett Favre. I thought he was on his way. I'm not I'm not going to BS you. Like I told you, man, my takes all go by player production. My takes aren't set in stone, nor should they be. It's going to be on the player production. Either you get better or you don't. I'm not a fortune teller. I go by what I see right now and what your history is. That's what. That's why when I look and I tell you about Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis has never been a productive guy. Watch him on tape versus Jalen Carter, and you'll get a sense of who's the better player. Don't let your eyeballs fail you. Watch Jalen Carter play, and then watch Jordan Davis play, and you'll know the difference. You'll know the difference. Chico wants to give Jalen Hurts a 10-year, $50 million deal off of one year. By the way, 
I'm not saying they're not going to. But he's so sold off of 17 games. 17 games he sold. 17 ball games that he's a $50 million guy. You don't think that's a gamble? So you've seen enough of 17 games that he's going to be a $50 million a year guy. Okay. History's not on your side. History's not on your side. It's not. Wishful thinking. History is not on the side of Jalen Hurts. He'll have to be a trendsetter, as you guys are calling him. By the way, it's not shade. It's the history of where we are in the league. Dak's not the guy. Carr's not the guy. Murray's not the guy. Baltimore knows that Lamar may not be the guy. They had three years to cut that deal for him, and they were never sold. And he was an MVP of the league. They were never sold. Get this. Think of that. The more accomplished player in Baltimore. Now, to be candid, Baltimore's not doing a lot of right things over the last three years either. Okay? Let's be fair there, but Lamar Jackson's a more accomplished football player, and he's only a year older than him. And they're not sold on him. They were never sold. They had three years to cut that deal. Three years. Three years to cut that deal. And they wouldn't do it. Callie Green goes, Jalen's that guy. Okay. Well, you're going to gamble. It's a gamble. That traditionally doesn't pan out or pay out. But okay. You have to, I guess. Because of what, what, what is the thing that everyone likes to say? It's the market value. Okay, market value ends up destroying many of the football teams. Shit, get this. They even gave Aaron Rodgers $60 million. And what happened? They had an under 500 record after going 13 wins three, three years in a row. When that contract kicked in, they had to get rid of Devontae Adams. Okay. Again, like I said, we'll see. I'm Hey, by the way, not rooting against them. 17 games. We shall see. Life's a gamble. Yeah, you're right, Callie Green. You gambled once on Wentz, and you struck out. And at least I give the organization, hey, I'll tell you what you do, too. You give the Eagles credit. They're going to take another swing again. They're going to take a big money swing again. Good for them. You know how some organizations will hide and not do it again because they're afraid? At least the Eagles are going to take another swing at this. This will be their second attempt at the plate to find a franchise quarterback. They feel just as comfortable now as they did then. Okay, good. That's the kind of organization you want. Don't, this is not a shade conversation here. This is the league. I get it. I'm not, no, absolutely no shade. Scared money doesn't make money. Absolutely. I give them credit for taking another swing here. Oh, absolutely. No way, man. The worst thing you can do is do this. Hey, I'm not going to pay another quarterback big money because you know why? We got hijacked with Wentz. Screw that shit. I'm not going down that revenue. Not me, man. I'm not wasting the owner's money because then get this. My job's on the line. How are we taking another swing? Hey, by the way, who was the guy that signed off on Wentz's uh, contract extension? Was it Howie? 
This could be a career move for Howie. Who signed off on um, Wentz's um, extension? <laughs> okay, who was... Here, okay. <laughs> Here, technically, it is the owner. Who signed off on Wentz as the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles? Who went to the owner and said, we should do this? Who went... Was it Was it Howie? How he did. So he's going to do it again. Kudos. Not a rip. But I'd hate to strike out twice. But good for him. And get this. This is the second one. And why the development of... Boy, I got it. Wait, wait. Think. Wait, I just got goosebumps here. Jalen Hurts has done so much that Howie Roseman's willing to put his reputation and his job on the line. Because if he strikes out again at the quarterback position with the amount of money that's in this, dude, it's got to be a death nail to you. But he's going to do it. Think of the trust that Howie has now in Hurts. We got to give this guy his money. And the owner agrees. That's pretty ballsy of Howie. Be- would you be willing to do that again? Put your ass and your reputation and your job and all the things that you had done in Philadelphia, two Super Bowls, one win, all that on the line. If you F up again and you don't get that position right, how's that not a death nail to your reputation? How's that not a death nail? Dude, Jalen's trust. That's pretty boss. That's pretty boss, man. They trust him. Tone says how he has something other GMs will never have. That's a latitude from his owner. Think about how long how he's been with Mr. Laurie. 23 years. Other GMs are consistently wheeling and dealing for their jobs. How he moves like his job is never on the line. Dude. It's a true statement that Tone just said there. Bro, that's awesome. They trust this kid. I Could you do that? I gave $38 million away of Mr. Lori's money on a failure player in Wentz. You have the balls to go back to your owner and go, we're going to do it again, but this time it's 50. Are you sure he's the guy? Yes. Jalen has built that much trust with both men who failed with Wentz. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That, That shows you the organization and where they are, the Eagles, Dude, I can't think of a better organization in the NFC than the Philadelphia Eagles right now. I mean, Howie Roseman's trust that he has with his owner to go back again. Here we are, again, with another mega deal on the table after you've bombed asking your owner for $50 million a year. 
in almost 200 million in guarantees. <laughs> you got a lot of job security, or you have a lot of balls, or both. Kudos. Kudos. Funny, this conversation, Jalen Hurts has changed. The Eagles, dude, the Eagles must have been completely apprehensive. Hence the two number ones. They must have been so apprehensive going into last year that they set up, look at this. They got $20 million in cap space. Two number ones, they could grab a quarterback, but it was set up for a quarterback, not for Miles Murphy. Jalen has changed the entire conversation around in 12 months. 12 months, he's changed the narrative. Can you imagine telling your boss, hey, I lost 30 million, but hey, guess what? I needed another 50 million just to say yes. That's exactly where they are now. Hey, Mr. Lori. I know I burned $30 million in the trash can for you a couple of years back. You know, that tragic mistake and the number one pick and a number one pick. What was he? The second player taken and the number two overall player taken. I know I screwed all of that up, but Hey, guess what? On a second round draft choice, I'm going to give him $50 million a year, seven year contract, maybe around 350 million. Uh, can you sign off on it? Uh, can we have a conversation a little bit here? <laughs> How he has the biggest balls in the league. Can you do go back to your, what's this? So just in your own place of work, do this, man, I lost seven accounts. I lost seven accounts. We're, we're, we're now underwater. Then you have to go to your boss and go, Hey, you know, we need, we need a higher expense account to be able to go out and make more money. So I need to increase our budget. You're losing money and you have to go to your boss and ask him for a bigger budget. Most bosses, 90% of the bosses are going to go, that ain't working. You imagine going to Mike Brown. If you F up on the, uh, if you F up on a deal, asking him for more money. Hey, guess what? You know, we screwed up on this deal here, but hey, end of the day here, man, I need 50. Mike Brown ain't doing that shit. That's why the Jets are in a position that they're in. Howie Roseman's putting, hey, I don't care you got him to two Super Bowls. You screw this money deal up for this owner, he's going to come for your ass, man. But guess what? Howie don't care. That's a really good relationship. You're going back to the well and asking the owner, to trust you this time after you bombed. Look at the quarterbacks they've drafted. Out since 2000, look at the qu shitty quarterbacks they've drafted. Every one of them, except now it looks like Jalen. There's not a quarterback on that list that's worth a shit, except Matt Foles, sure. Okay, but he was more of a substitute teacher. Was going to be a starter for you over a long period of time. All them quarterbacks they've drafted have been bums. Now, he's going back to the well. That's pretty cool. Trust. So O-line and trust in why Jalen and the biggest reasons for his development.
Here's the third one. It probably goes with everything here. What I we just talked about. Environment. How many people have here? Let me show you something here. What do you think of the environment in Green Bay, Baltimore, the Chargers, and Cincinnati? Okay. What, what what's the quarterbacks that are up right now? And we're talking about environment here. I wrote I wrote this down here. And I, I wrote down I wrote down all the players. Think about the environment there. Now think about the environment in Philly. General manager runs the team, not the owner, like you have in Dallas. The general manager picks the players. For the most part, picks the assistants. For the most part, picks the head coach. Didn't need to draft a quarterback because we had McNabb. Neil, but you did. You drafted nine. They all sucked. They all sucked. Um, didn't need to. Then why'd you draft nine? Since 2000, you drafted nine quarterbacks. They all sucked out loud except one. As a starter. Um, the environment. Okay, Tony. All your backups sucked except one. Nine quarterbacks, they all sucked. And, and, and by the way, that's not true. You used the second pick in the draft to get a quarterback, and he sucked. And he gave him $38 million. He sucked. Except Foles? Okay, you're right. At least he was taken in a ladder round. You used the second pick overall to get Wentz. And he sucked too, part of the nine. Um, environment. Look at what Jalen has. Players around him. The trust of the organization. An environment to work in. How many quarterbacks have that, you think? Let's take a look at the quarterbacks that have their deals up right now. Justin Herbert. The environment with the Spanos family. Dude, I've been around that organization. It's a shitty, it, it's a nickel and dime operation. It, they're, they're terrible. The Spanos family, again, they got some good football people in there like Telesco. But at the end of the day, it's a nickel and dime organization. They don't win. Justin Herbert is a great looking player. He looks like a grand slam player. They're not going to win with him. Why would I think that? They didn't win with Rivers or damn Fouts. Now they're going to win? Okay. Stan Humphreys, all I'll say. <laughs> so look at the environment there. They're, they're, they're going to go cheesy on the money. The owner and the general manager are kind of on the same page, but the owners are horrible. Environment. They got talent, but they don't have coaching, and they don't have the ownership. So three of the, f they got one of the three that we're talking about what Hertz has. Let's take a look at Burrow. Let's look at Burrow now. There's players there. The environment, 
the owner. So there's players there, but no decent owner, and the environment sucks. Let's look at Baltimore. There's no talent outside of the tight end. Ozzy's not in the building. There's friction between the player and the organization. Look at that environment. You have no O-line. There's no trust and no environment for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Do you understand? All these things have to all line up. They all have to line up for you to be a dynamic player also. Look what Montana, look at the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Brady. Structure, environment, players. And for at the last, look at Montana. Environment, Mr. DeBartolo. John McVay. Bill Walsh. Environment and talent. If you don't have all that going, look at think of, think of where Baltimore is now, where Jalen is. He has no O-line. He has no trust with the organization. And the environment blows. How's he going to win? Both don't believe in one another. Do you have him for three years? You have very little talent in the O-line. Your defense is in shambles. Your general manager is not Ozzie Newsom. How are you going to win there? How are you going to win? Jalen has the O-line. Trust. And environment. That's why he's going to go with that. Look at Mahomes. The Hunt family. Andy Reid. Players. Mahomes has got Mahomes doesn't have the environment and all. I don't know. I would say Jalen's probably in a better place than um, I don't know. Lamar Hunt and family are pretty cool folks. That's a pretty cool place to play. The fan base is a lot like Kansas City's a lot like Philadelphia. How the fans look at that team, like it's a community thing, and they love that. They love the players. They it's a lot alike, man. Buffalo's a little bit, but Kansas City's a lot more like Philly. You know why? Because they win there. Okay? It, Philly and KC are a lot alike. Probably why Andy Reid fits in there. Never thought about that. Andy Reid went to a place in Kansas City that has a lot of the same attributes that Philadelphia has. Environment, culture, talent. And the desire to win. Right? Kansas City's always been a good football team as far as I know. Hunt family is one of the greatest families in NFL history. Mars, Rooney's. Jeffrey Lurie's turning into being something like that as well. Those are the reasons that I think when you watch Jalen Hurts' ascent, and then you put the one thing that Tone said, his work ethic. He's an overachiever. He, he's an overachiever. All the things that he was told he couldn't do, he's working 
to become he's where he is not because of his talents it's because of his work same as Brady Brady was never going to have the talent that Aaron Rodgers had and nor did he ever he outworked him isn't it crazy you can outwork talent Jalen outworks talent Hurts is outworking talent there's more talented people than him he's just outworking you Look at him outworking Kyler Murray. Here's the greatest example of that dynamic right in front of you. Who would you rather have for a 60-minute ball game to try to win a Super Bowl, Kyler Murray or him? Who would put the work in to win the Super Bowl, him or Hurts? Ask yourself that. He outworks you. That's why sometimes when you run into guys like Jordan, and that's why when you run into Mahomes, who also puts the work in, he's just more talented than you. It happens. You run into Jordan. Clyde Drexler ran into Jordan. Sometimes you just run into those guys. Best worker, best player, generational player. God forbid he's the hardest worker in that generation too, which he turns out to be. And again, I still think Mahomes has a long way to go because I think he gets a little reckless and I think he gets a little lazy. But he had to be more of a student last year. You know, that was Mahomes' best year as a player. You know why? They relied on him more. That's what they're going to have to do this year because the defense has got to come around for the Eagles. And that's what the Eagles in their organization seeing. They think he's that... They think he's doing going to be what, not what Mahomes can do, but what Mahomes brings to the team. That's what they think Jalen Hurts does for the Eagles, what he brings to the team. That's what I think they see in him. He's never going to be a 50-touchdown guy. But they don't care about that. They care he brings – that attitude, that work ethic, I'm going to outwork you. You know, I will say this to you. I would say this to you. Um, I would say this. Talent sometimes is overrated because it turns into potential. Okay. It turns into potential. And when you don't live up to that potential, Carson Wentz, man, is that an anchor around an organization? But when you get one of these guys, Jalen Hurts is probably going to, because of who he is, when seven out of every 10 ball games he's in. If the environment, the trust, and the talent around him are all still in the same sandbox. He's going to win about 70% of his games, 68%, somewhere in there. That means the majority of the time you're going to be a contender. That's what Brady did. Brady outworked you. Then it became he outskilled you. Brady beats you with knowledge, not talent. Knowledge. Knowledge is more important than talent especially in a game like the NFL. Dude, you could be the most physically gifted guy on the planet. 
You can run people over, be the strongest guy, be the fastest guy. That's not going to win you anything. Your skill set does. Okay? Your skill set does. So we just got a note here. Mike Lombardi says he's sorry he can't go today. Um, and It's good Friday, so it's all good. Don't worry, Mike. It's all good, Paisan. We'll catch up with him next week. We still got Phil Sims coming up at 4.30. So we're looking forward to talking to Phil from CBS Sports. We'll get his thoughts. He's coming up here in hour number two. Also, I got another thing on the contract that we heard. And you tell me what you think. Also, by the way, I can't believe what I'm going to read to you. Chicago, Chicago, the city of Chicago, ranked the best quarterbacks in the NFC. See, I don't want to hear any publication out of Philadelphia because it's jaded. What do you hear what they said? It's incredible. Um, also, teams that had the best offseason. We're going to get with that as well. Got another contract conversation here on Jalen Hurts on this Good Friday. Tell you what, man, Jalen's got a lot going for him right now. And that's why Clutch Sports and the Eagles are working together to make this a long relationship. And that's why the owner wants to make it a long relationship. Hour number two, please hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Heading down the shore. Have a ball Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. My name is uh, Fran Salerno. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Champions on three. One, two, three. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. National Football Show. Our friend Phil Sims is confirmed for 4.30 at the bottom of the hour. I'm going to ask him, does he think Jalen Hurts is an elite quarterback? The man from CBS, the owner of two Super Bowls. We will talk to our friend Phil Sims. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. I'm wondering, before we move on to the second Hurts topic of the day, I'm wondering if His Majesty Roger Cadell is going to send Mary Jo White to investigate Michael Bidwell for the sexual harassment and the behavior of the Cardinals and how they're acting and behaving. I wonder if he's going to go after his owner like he did Deshaun Watson and have a court case or will you do what you did to Jim Irsay just push it to the side what do you think he's going to do Roger Goodell's not a fan or friend of the player he's a stooge for the owner they'll have some sort of like kangaroo court they'll do something publicly to make you think that they punished Michael Bidwell for his behavior and how he's running the Cardinals and it'll be pushed to the side. And what they'll do is just like they did with the players kneeling. Hey, don't you find it weird that you don't hear anything about the players kneeling anymore? Why is that? You think, well, because the owners went to the networks and said, stop it. And they did. Remember the networks are lap dogs and they're business partners with them. The players aren't business partners. They'll shit all over a player anytime they can. And will. And they'll make that guy look like Lamar Jackson, like he's the bad guy. When knowing full well, Baltimore had three years to get a deal done, but they didn't want to get it done. Now it's Lamar because he's stupid. Get this. The media is painting Lamar Jackson as a dummy. And you're buying it. Why why would you do that? Because he's black? Because he's an athlete? Or both? Would you be saying that if Joe Burrow wanted to cut his own deal? Would you be saying Joe Burrow was dumb for wanting to cut his own deal? Look at the behavior of that. I don't know anything more racist than what I'm watching and how people in the media are talking about Lamar's dumb. Why? Because he wants to cut his own deal. Many players have done that. I've heard, hey, I have heard executives say, Yo, know, it's a grand slam. Okay, but that's all right if a player wants to do it himself. It's his latitude. It's his life. If, guess what? In this country, you have the ability to fail if you want. You have the right to F your own life up. You don't control the narrative in a person's life. Yale goes, Lamar's misplaying his hand. He has every right to. 
I'm not going to stand in the way of a man's own direction and what he wants to do. He's a Pied Piper trying to fight for guaranteed contracts and people are taking a dump on him. And you know what they're doing? The innuendo is he's dumb. And get this, the collusion that's going on, it's through smoke signals like the NFL likes to do it. I'm not going to bring up something because it'd be too over the top. But there was a story years and years and years and years ago that people never held accountable for things that happened in the past. You know what they did? They never put it on paper. It was just thought of that this was the way it was to be. Nobody ever signed anything to it. But one of the most disgusting scenes in the history of our world, we all know what it was back in the war. Never on paper. It was through smoke signals. This is what we're doing. You don't have to collude on paper or phone call. You could do it in your own actions. Are the, are the owners colluding against Lamar? What do you think? Seriously, you can't prove it. I know. You're a billionaire for a reason. You're a billionaire for a reason. It seems nuts to turn down $150 million guaranteed. It seems nuts that NFL contracts aren't fully guaranteed, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, Yale, let me ask you something, Yale. What seems more nuts, turning down $150 million or that all NFL players' contracts aren't guaranteed, like every other sport? What's more nuts to you? What's more nuts to you? What's more nuts to you? That only one player in the NFL out of 1,300 players has one fully guaranteed contract. Over 105 years of the league. What's more nuts to you? What's more nuts to you? Yell goes, the players have to negotiate that. <laughs> it's too late. That toothpaste is out of the bottle, man. It's over. Never going to do that. What did Ursay say at the owners' meetings? Hey, man, I'm not paying anybody $50 million. I'm not giving you guaranteed money. Fully guaranteed. It's not happening. <laughs> so it's not the money. It's the control. Right? Can you imagine dealing with LeBron James like that? Hey, LeBron, we can cut you at any time. By the way, your contract's not fully guaranteed. If the NBA can guarantee contracts, so could the NFL. But like you said, it's too, it's too late. It's too late. You understand the NFL doesn't want to give the control to the players up. That's what this is. This is all about controlling the herd. You can't let one guy. They Do, do you understand it's the contract in Cleveland? People go, it's going to be an outlier. The owners are going to make it that way. Like they made Kaepernick go away. They'll make that go away. You see, like I said, they had to pay him $230 million to play in Cleveland. Nobody was going to play in Cleveland. He wasn't going to play there. He was going to go to Atlanta. Shit, they had a contract lined up for him in Atlanta. He was going to go back to the South where he wanted to play. He's from Miami. Then they parachute in, or actually fly in, 
Here's 230 guaranteed contracts. And here's a treasure chest of draft picks to the Texans. And get this. You know what's crazy about that whole situation? Isn't it funny how the media didn't report the 22 cases that the Texans had to settle also because they were accomplices in the whole thing? You understand that, that the Texans had to pay 22 confidentiality agreements because you know why? Most of those women were suggested by the Texans. You don't remember that, do you? <laughs> Texans had to pay confidentiality agreements too. <laughs> yeah, the Texans did too. Texans recommended these checks. I don't remember that, Sills. Oh, <laughs> you don't? Of course you don't. <laughs> Yale goes like this. They knew what was going on. Not only did they know what was going on, they gave him $185 million. Then they got rid of D-Hop, and that was the end of it. It's like after they got rid of D-Hop, and they went, what would they do? They send that fullback or running back from Arizona to the Texans. Deshaun says, I'm out of here. This is the end of this. That's sticking around with the McNair family, who has a guy who was a, I, I was somebody that was like a like a, um, a preacher that was running the team or something. He's like, I'm religious too, man, but I, this is I'm out of this. That's right, Neil, because they made him look like a serial rapist when the Texans were the ones that were recommended the chicks to him. Oh, okay, but not them. He's the one. The whole thing, man. That's why. And then they then then they hire a black coach and David Cully. And then they fire him, not even giving him an opportunity. He had waited 30. Do you, you know the reputation David Cully has? David Cully is one of the most respected men in the NFL. Now, look, he got a lot of money out the door. I think it was like 13, 14 million. All good. All good. They paid him out the door. Did the same shit to love you, though. Hired two black coaches. You know why? It's a good, it's good window dressing. It's good window dressing. Man, such a Titans just signed Jeffrey Simmons to a four-year extension worth 94 million, makes him the second highest paid DT. Drops Hardgrave to number three. Whew. See you later, Derrick Henry. So you thought it was in your best interest to sign the defense tackle over the guy who had 1,500 yards last year. Derrick Henry's on his way to Dallas if they don't pick up B. John Robinson. Woo! Yeah, the NFL. NFL's <laughs> – come on, man. Think they're going to go after Michael Bidwell? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <coughs> You you went after David Cully. David Cully, man, if you ever met him, and I have, a spectacular man, a quality man, a man you would want to play for, like Mike Tomlin. Never get to know that, though. That's what they do to the black coaches in this, in this league. Give you a little opportunity, throw a bone to you, never give you another job again. Sign Jim Caldwell. Sign Brian Flores. But hey, man, we fight for taking a knee. 
We fight for Kaepernick. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And you're stupid enough to believe that, some of you. It's like wrestling fans. Here, let's go on to this before we get Phil Sims here on the bottom of the hour. I really like that first hour discussion with Jalen. I did. Jalen has so many great things going for him in Philadelphia. The talent around him. The organization trusts him. The environment. It's all good, man. Oh, yeah, that thing, that ship sailed. It's Jalen Carter trading up for Will Anderson or trading down. Miles Murphy. I keep doing that, man, and I feel bad for the kid. I should. I got to come up with a different guy because he's a good player. <clears throat> Lucas Van Ness. <laughs> Let's draft Lucas Van Ness at 10, who never started at Iowa. Sure. <laughs> Why not? We always overdraft in Philly. Let's go get Lucas. He's never started it down for the Hawkeyes. But he'll start in the NFC East with the defending champs. Sure he will. Dude, you can't beat the dude out in front of you at Iowa. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how you don't have a problem with that. Seals, he never started. What? <sighs> He's a first-round talent? Okay. So he never started at Iowa. No. <sighs> the Eagles will take him with 10. What? <laughs> yeah, please don't. Dude, he may go on to have the same kind. Jason Pierre-Paul didn't start a ton of games at USF. He, he was like, um, I think it was like six games he started at USF. He turned out to be a heck of a ball player before he blew his digits off. He was a heck of a ball player. So it does happen where guys end up having some pretty good, you know, he, he, he was good. But, man, when I tune on Lucas Van Ness, I don't see Jason P. or Paul. <laughs> I, I, when I, I, he's good. He's active. He's active. He's a pretty active kid. I'll say that. But why won't you – why didn't he start? Yeah, man, you take that guy down in the 20s. Down there low, down in the 20s, like 25, 26. Take a shot at him down there. I'm all right with 30. Hey, maybe 30. All right. Sure, okay. Why not? 30? He may turn out to be something. Get him Get him at 30. Okay. 10? <laughs> not me. Not happening. He's good. No, CJ, he's good, CJ. He's good. He's just, I mean, never start at Iowa. I don't know. It's a red flag, man. Sills, he's really a great talent. He's got great, watch this, great lateral movement. He's got... Great wingspan. He's really tall. He's active, but he never started a down at Iowa. Why? Couldn't beat the guy out in front of him? How can you be a top 10 talent and you're not even a top 10 talent on your own team? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know Iowa was the center of the universe for defensive edge rushers. Since 2000, we've been to seven NFC championship games, most in the NFL, three Super Bowls, and I've had only five losing seasons. And you've done most of that. J JD, you've done most of that? 
through free agency, not the draft, which is crazy because you're not the greatest drafters, which is amazing that you guys are even in that conversation here. Hey, before I get to this other topic, I want to read you guys something. This is out of Chicago about Jalen Hurts. This is out of Chicago. Okay? Out of Chicago. So they got the they got the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFC as of April 7th. This kind of expands a little bit on what we're saying here. And I don't get this one, but I te- this is N- this is NBC Chicago. They got Brock Purdy 10. Jared Goff, nine. This ain't Big Sills. Kurt Cousins, eight. Geno Smith, seven. Derek Carr, six. Justin Fields, five. It's Chicago. I don't know about five. Justin Fields is not better than Derek Carr, Geno Smith, or Jared Goff. But, okay, it's Chicago. That's why I never read lists off of some of those ridiculous websites in Philly because everything's stupidly jaded. Justin Fields, five, really, in the NFC? Come on, man. I mean, right? Wait, this thing gets better. Four, Dak Prescott, Cowboys. Three, Kyler Murray. Two, Matthew Stafford. The city of Chicago has Jalen Hurts as the number one quarterback in the NFC. This is Chicago, not Philly. Chicago. Once again, Let's go back a year. Inside of 12 months, Jalen Hurts has gone from probably out of the top 10 to the number one player at that position and the number one premium position in the NFL, in the NFC. That's a, dude, this guy climbed Everest. Jalen Hurts has climbed Mount Everest in one year. He's climbed Everest. Has the NFL got better at scouting players or have they fallen off? Eagle way. Great question. What's happened is they've gotten smarter. They're staying away from the shitbox schools like North Dakota state. You're staying in the Southeastern conference. Stay in the sec. Best players in the country. Every year go to the sec. Look at the draft. 80 players get drafted a year out of the SEC. You understand there's only 300 players drafted. Half the draft almost is drafted out of the Southeastern Conference. And I'm not saying you're not going to find somebody at Delaware State or Temple or someplace like that. You are. But again, if you're trying to draft, you're trying to limit your mistakes here, especially when you have limited draft choices like the Eagles do. Okay? Think about that. 
Jalen Hurts, now number one quarterback in the NFC. This guy's climbed Mount Everest inside of 12 to 18 months. Staying he has, yeah, it's incredible. It's a great story. I'm going to get to this topic here, but a little bit on that. And that question that you asked, has the NFL gotten better at scouting players? They haven't the quarterback position. 44% of the quarterbacks that have been drafted in the last 15 years have been bombs. Why is that? Overdrafting the position. Why? Not only is the position overdrafted, but you go to BYU and find some stiff like Zach Wilson or Jordan Love in the Mountain West. And because you think they got Josh Allen out of the Mountain West, you're finding the next Josh Allen out of the Mountain West. Somebody tell me, um, how many quarterbacks have there been out of Alcorn State since Steve McNair? Can you tell me? I mean, you go back to Alcorn State, I wouldn't. That's why you got Trey Lance. So you, you went from Carson Wentz, and then you went Trey Lance. Those two guys are not going to be good. Why? They don't play anybody. Do you understand when you watch Carson Wentz play in college and you watch Trey Lance play in college, it's like a nine on seven. Everybody's wide open. You got slow dudes in the secondary. You got all them dudes out there. And the windows are wide open. Man, that guy could throw a pass. Tone would, Tone would be all conference, whatever the hell that conference is that North Dakota State plays in. He'd be all conference. Hey, what was Tone's numbers? Hey, Tone had 100 catches, 1,300 yards. You should have seen this guy. He was amazing. Where'd he play? North Dakota State. <laughs> yeah. Who was he lined up against? Whew. Hey, man. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, tones like this, man. North Dakota State. I've, hey, Sills, I'd rather play at Delaware. The <laughs> uh, man. Hey, when you line up and you're at North Dakota State and you see two white corners, that's all you need to know. <laughs> Dude, not working for me. <laughs> Keep me in the Southeastern Conference, okay? Keep me in the SEC, dude, and you're, you're going to be limited. You're going to be limited on your mistakes. ST says this. I would pay Jalen Hurts six years, $270 million, 225 fully guaranteed, worth up to $300 million. That's $45 per year, worth up to $50 per year. I, I, hey, ST, it's not about the money. It's about the off-ramps, I think. Okay? I think it's about the off-ramps. Hey, Lord, right? Holy cow, man. Is that Jason Seahorn? <laughs> hey, Lord, I don't know if there's too many Jason Seahorns playing at North Dakota State. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Jason Seahorn? What's he doing? <laughs> All right, let me let me. I, I it, 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 look. 
The quarterback position is by far the most important position, but it's overvalued every single year. It is the most important position on the field. But in the last 15 years, like I told you, 44% of the first rounders have been bust. You almost have half the draft that of these guys that go into the first round are going to fail. Do you understand that? So when you make a selection and you look at where certain guys like Will Levis from Kentucky or you look at Bryce Young, let me ask you something. Before we bring Phil Sims on here, how many plays do you think Bryce Young could play in the Philadelphia Eagles system before he wasn't destroyed out there physically? 5'10", 185. You think he could play in that Eagle system? Absolutely not. You think he could play in Chicago? Absolutely not. You think he could play in Baltimore with limited talent except for the tight end? Absolutely not. C.J. Stroud is probably the prototypical guy. Young's the more skilled guy, but you're going to overdraft these guys. Let's bring in a guy who's got two Super Bowl rings and a friend of ours. Why quarterback position? I get the value at the position and why it's so important, but what's the one intangible for you? When you see a guy, you go, this is a guy I want to do my homework on. What's that one thing? Oh, well, it always comes to this. You know, I, of course, quarterbacks are the subject on every show. Every time I turn the TV on in the morning, it's Lamar and Aaron Rodgers. I would never in it. Well, whatever. But when they're coming out the draft, you, you know, first and foremost, I don't want to hear about, you know, certain things or whatever. First, I want to tell me tangible physical evidence that gives them a chance to be starters or stars in the NFL. Is he big? Is he fast? Does he have a great arm? Um, you know, something like I need bricks. Give me that. Then we'll go into, oh, is he accurate? Does he make the right reads? You know, is he a leader? All the the intangibles. But the first thing I don't tell me that somebody has it and all that. And what is it? I mean, I, I love that's the great cop out of all time. But I, I just need that some physical evidence where if we put it together, that it can be a big time starting NFL quarterback. Phil is is Jalen Hurts an elite quarterback? And would you invest fifty million dollars in him? Wow, that's a lot. You know, I heard you a little uh, talk about Jalen Hurts and could Bryce Young do what he's doing? No, but Jalen Hurts probably can't throw from the pocket and do some of the things that Bryce Young can do. Um, you know, I think Jalen Hurts had a terrific year. I was on his side the whole time, thought he should have been in the MVP or he was in the MVP race until he got hurt. I thought he was going to win it until he got hurt. But, um, you know, they're, it's a tremendous team. I'm not taking anything away from him. Everybody gets mad about this all the time. But he's a good leader. He's big. He's strong. He has special attributes, his running and gaining tough yards by a quarterback that are terrific. But is he a, is he a top NFL thrower? Of No, no. But he took advantage of a great team. They, they made an offense that I think really fits him extremely well. It's not about, oh, we need a great thrower and passer of the football. Uh, because their talent is so good. Dan, they get really a lot of good looks and all that. But that's not to take anything away from Jalen Hurts. 
you know, with all quarterbacks who win the Super Bowl have some things on their team that are really, really good, and they happen to fill in the gaps and make it work. So, see, I, I, I've said this. We had Jimmy Johnson on, and I even asked Tony Dungy this. And Phil, I need your thoughts on it. I don't, and I don't want to. I don't want to pollute the question to you, but I just don't think you can build a football team around a dual threat guy. And I think Baltimore is going through that now, and that's kind of what they have here. And you put fifty million dollars in this guy's hands, and again, he's done all the things that you want—winning and environment, all that stuff that you talk about. But boy. Can you win a Super Bowl with a dual threat quarterback in today's NFL, knowing the kind of punishment they're going to take? Well, let, let me, let, let, this is a great subject. And I love talking about this because I've looked at it a lot and talked to many people and they kind of tell me things, coaches, I just go, oh, that's really interesting. And let's just go to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson doesn't need an offense that's specifically designed for him. He does not. Dan, I'm. This is me, and 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 I think most, uh, like even that organization, probably would agree with what I'm saying here. He is a really, really good throwing arm. He can be an excellent passer of the football. His biggest knock, I think, when I watch him play, he not his throwing. I think he has an explosive arm, compact release. He has the size and all that, but he is an unbelievably aggressive decision maker. And if he wasn't quite as aggressive, which, you know, over time you lose that and you become, you know, manipulate it and do what, whatever, uh, it would bring his percentages up, you know, all those things. I get tired of hearing about, oh, my God, he doesn't have great weapons. Yeah, he probably doesn't have top of the line. They missed on draft picks or these guys just weren't who they thought they were. But, man, they built arguably one of the greatest run games in history. And that team was capable of going to Super Bowls. It was capable of going to Super Bowl this past year. I, I listen, they had the Bengals beat. We had yeah. a quarterback sneak. Yeah. I mean, it's and if Lamar would have stayed healthy before the season, I said, man, I'm gonna pick the Baltimore Ravens to go to the Super Bowl. And then I chickened out. I don't know why, because I oh, I think I'll do this, trying to be a little different. And my pick would have been Baltimore and Philadelphia if oh. I'd have just went with what I thought was chalk to me. But, hey, the Ravens are got a lot of talent. And Lamar Jackson, let me go to this. If he's just in a normal offense and passing, look, he's going to scramble and get his runs. We don't have to – yeah, they're always going to do a design run or two or a few here and there. But make that transition. I know they wanted to. They were trying to. But the injuries and other things came up that kind of stopped that. And here's my last thing. When you're running with the football as a quarterback and you break the line of scrimmage on a design run, whatever it is, you determine how much punishment you want to take. I played 15 years. I never ran the ball once and got, whoa, you know, blindsided and hit. Oh, I didn't see that coming. When you run, you determine the punishment. And Lamar Jackson's been hurt twice in his career. Where did he get hurt? In the pocket. In the pocket. The pocket to me is much more dangerous than running the football. Huh. It, it's much more dangerous because people fall on you. Then you can really get caught. You think, oh, I got it. And you make another look. And then somebody throws their guy and smashes you. But, I never thought of that, Phil. So you have more control over how you're going to take the punishment in open space absolutely. than you do in the pocket. Because, look, you've got a front door, back door, side door that you always have to have in your mind. 
And yeah. so you think that inside that pocket, you control your, you basically control more of your destiny when you're in open space. Absolutely. You know, Lamar, all those years, I've watched every damn play. You know, that's my job. And I watched Baltimore because they're always one of the top teams. And I would watch games. And every once in a while, Lamar would take a big hit. You know why? Because he'd be running. And he'd see the guy coming. He would turn and try to hit the guy first, which, you know, I went, wow, that's pretty cool that you are able to do that. But it's also, uh, why are you doing it too? I think he had to do it every once in a while just to let them all know that he was pretty physical too. But I, I just believe this, and I'll go back to this too. When Lamar Jackson came out, I didn't. I waited a little bit to watch him, and then my son called me, who always has to do this, and he goes, "Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, that's it. That's all I want to hear. You know, whatever." And of course, he got crushed because he liked Josh Allen, and so did I, by the way, a lot. But I still do. Yeah, of course, and I like Lamar just as. But when I watched Lamar Jackson's games and highlights, first I watched the highlight. You know why? Because I want to see how good they are when they're really good. As George Young said, give me their 20 best plays. That's who they're capable of being. Now can our coaches to get our coaches coach him to get there? So, but when I watched Lamar Jackson's highlight tape, Dan, I went, hell, this might be the best damn thing I've ever watched. Besides Patrick, I mean, um, oh man. Adrian Peterson coming out and Barry Sanders. You know, when I watched theirs, I was like, that's, I've never seen this. Now, I don't remember watching Deion Sanders or seeing him or anything because we were in the league about the, some of the time we uh, crossed over. But uh, that's what I think. So I think all this Lamar Jackson talk, I hear it all the time. And look, if you put him in a passing offense, he's going to hit the passes. He's got a powerful arm. And then if he doesn't like it, what's he going to do? Look out. And how do you just, all out rush him or any guy that's extremely quick and mobile as him. You always got to be careful. And it's always a thing on your mind. I talk to defensive coordinators and I watch them on the sidelines during the week. I talk to them and they're, and they're getting ready to play Baltimore. And they go, every play you stand over there and you're like, what's going to happen. And I just, and then so when they tell me this, I watch the game on TV or something. And I go, I can see it in their face. Oh, hope he doesn't run. Can we stop him? You know, things like that. It's it's really unbelievable. So this whole thing with him with the Baltimore Ravens, hey, look, I'm worn out by it. Um, I understand it from both sides. They had sides. three years, Phil. They had three years to get this thing done. Yeah. And why do you think they balked? Look, I, there's, there's always more to the story than we know. And um, I don't know when it'll come out. It always comes out, of course. You know, it will sooner or later. Uh, but I, I think the Ravens, I, I'm just going, they're trying to offer him. They offered him a decent contract. You know, of course, it's great to me. I'd love to have that. We all would love to have that. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's going so far down the road here that I don't know if they can make it work. But also, and I hear this when teams, well, we don't want to do this because of Lamar style, make a bid. I just go, you know, you're judging it the wrong way. I, I, yeah. I really mean that. This no, guy. I, I, I see where you're going. And I want to. I want, to, I want to circle back here a little bit, with Hurts, and you tell me if you agree with this. I don't believe Jalen Hurts has the talent that Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson has. However, what I do think, and you mentioned something, Phil, that I said, his aggressive style of play is same with Allen. I mean, dude, this guy gets home field advantage if he doesn't drop the ball on the ground against Minnesota with the back of the goalpost. He's got – I mean, you watch some of the decisions those two guys make, and then you watch the decision that Jalen makes. I think he runs that RPO, like you said. 
When he gets out in space, he gets down. He's smart. He does a lot of Russell Wilson stuff. Do you think that's a fair valuation of him? That, yeah, that that's, he may that's not good. be as talented, Phil, as those guys, but he plays the game a little smarter. Well, it's it's just a different style, different offense. I don't think there's really – I know that he had a tremendous year and all that, but I just don't look at the team or, or whatever and just go, they're just judging – they need him to do everything. I think when you talk about Lamar and Josh Allen, it's just uh, a little more of a burden. It's, it's different. The whole football team. You know, I, I look at Baltimore's team, and if I had to – I mean, it, I don't look at Buffalo and go, oh, wow, Buffalo is loaded – Look out, they're a Super Bowl favorite to me. I kind of thought that before the year. I worried. And, you know, you can ask the guys that work with me on Sundays. I just go, man, this Buffalo team, they worry me. They're not powerful. They're not fast. They're not big. And who's the stars? Well, they got Stephon Diggs. That's always the first answer. All right, let's go from there. Where do we go from there? Well, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Don't you think there's situational play calling in the second half also – had a lot to be desired too because I thought Brian Dable always kept him in the guardrails. And look, Ken Dorsey's a Miami guy. We're boys. I love him. But, you know, he was learning on the job too a little bit, yeah. Phil, there, right? Well, you know, Ken Dorsey did a, you know, he did a good job. I'm not going to say a terrific, but, it, it, you know, you got to, you got to be in that job. And, and you, you know, you got to earn a few stripes. Then you can be really tough. I mean, Brian Dable, he manipulates players better than anybody I've ever seen. He, he's huh. right up there with anybody. He better, as good as Bill? Absolutely. He's right there. That's who wow. he is. That's who he is. He's the modern-day Bill Parcells. He's ripping you and laughing as he's ripping you. And I don't know. He's got a lot of stuff that I understand, that, and it makes sense to me now what was going on in Buffalo and why the Giants had such a good year because he just has a way with people. He knows how to work the room, Dan. That's the best thing to say, you know? It's like yeah. a restaurant owner walks through. Hey, how you doing? How you good to see you? Yeah, yeah. Keep spending that money. Uh, you know, and that's that's kind of Brian Dable. He did a terrific job and uh, gained the respect of the players by coaching them hard, but also having that give and take too that you also need to make sure you don't alienate the players by coaching them hard. Eagles still the team that beat in the NFC East. Oh my God, yeah. And there they are with two first rounders. And when you know it, good for the Eagles. 20 million uh, in cap space, too. Wow. And all these edge rushers coming out in the draft. I have not looked at them yet. That's one of the probably the next thing. I haven't done the offensive linemen watch at them, but offensive linemen and edge rushers seems to be a rich draft for those guys. So it wouldn't shock me. I saw a mock draft. I'm not big at looking at them and see the Eagles picking up two edge rushers. And I go, it's just the rich are getting richer. But they managed and created the team in a way. And you got to give Howie Roseman, he was the what, what do you want? The front office. Executive of the year. He was the front office guy of the year. Yeah. I mean, man. And he might be again this year after this draft's over and what they've done to kind of keep this team together and everything like that. And I am interested. I haven't heard much about Jalen Hurts, where this is going to go. But I, I don't think he's going to get $50 million. I don't know. That seems – is that what – has it been reported? Yeah, no, that Phil, what they're saying is a Mahomes-type deal – you know, and, and I talked to Lee Steinberg about this, and if he's working with Clutch Sports and trying to get a deal like Mahomes, it's team-friendly, Phil, where they yeah. get off-ramps, where they're going to be able to restructure. So, like, when they lost Orlando Brown, they can go get somebody. So right. Jalen's going to be kind of in that kind of business relationship with the Eagles where they're going to have these off-ramps on a team-friendly deal. And I'm hearing somewhere 
a little north of um, Kyler Murray. And I thought maybe the ceiling would be what, what Lamar got. So it's going to be somewhere, I think, between 46, 47 and maybe $50 million, somewhere in there. Well, good. I mean, great for him. And look, I have followed you don't, you, Phil, you don't think he's a $45 million a year quarterback, do you? Yeah, you, you know, Dan, I mean, I really mean this. I, I don't care what they make. Good for them, and I don't really get. Yeah, but that tells you where you are in the pecking order, Phil. When it when when, because the next guy up, you know how it works. I'm not saying whether deserves the money, but if you're going to make him the highest paid player in the NFL, do you think he's worth the Mahomes money? Um, you know, I'm not there, but he's very valuable to the team. Uh, it you know you it. Do you have the next guy? You know, look, they had Gardner Minshew as their backup. I like Gardner Minshew. I thought he played well in Jacksonville. Can do all that but he doesn't fit the offense, not even close. So they kind of seem when you watch him play, yeah, he threw up for a lot of yards against the Dallas Cowboys and they scored points, but it just wasn't quite who they are and how they built that football team. So just saying that, can you find a – well, they'll find a backup this year that really fits. No, well, they got Marcus York. Mariota in the room now. Well, that's a, that, I know. That was a great pickup by them because Marcus Mariota – I don't know. Everybody was bashing him all year. I watched the Atlanta Falcons. I go, damn, the Atlanta Falcons are tough. Marcus Mariota's playing tough as hell. He's throwing the ball pretty good. Then he had a couple so-so games, and by God, next thing you know, he's out of here. But uh, so but you know, the money. I want I want to stop you on something, Phil, because I think it's important what you said and why we're talking about again Mahomes and the kind of Mahomes money. If you took AJ Brown and Devontae Smith off that Eagle team and left him with Dallas Goddard like Kansas City had to do with Tyree Kill and get him off that team and put a rookie running back back there, could Jalen Hurts go to a Super Bowl without A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and be a guy who's going to lead your football team the same way? Mahomes broke records, single-season record, 40-some-odd touchdowns. I don't see Hurts as that guy. I, I, I mean, I think he needs more of a team around him like well, Mahomes doesn't. Yeah, Mahomes has really good coaching, and they built it. They got a good listen. They both have one thing in common. Those teams, what they have, really good offensive lines. And wh- who wins the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line? I mean, the closest I've seen was the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, Bengals. But you know, you talk about the Eagles. To me, their whole team, what sets them up. There's many things: the good old line and all this. But their receivers really set the table for what you do on the defensive side. It puts you in a you're in trouble no matter what. In other words, you try to come up and stop all the runs and the give and goes by Jalen Hurts or the power running by the with the offensive line. They're gonna they're gonna pick you apart with short passes and all that underneath, outside, whatever fake runs. Get it to them quick. I mean, the looks are so easy for Jalen, and that that just gives. I'm just giving a lot of credit to the uh, to the Eagles how they designed that offense and how they knew they need this wide receiving group to be, to scare you. And it's the tandem. It's got to be one of the top three or four in the NFL. Those two oh, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, so. I, absolutely. Phil, let me ask you about Daniel Jones. Um, Boy. Hey, how do you like him now, everybody? Hey, come on, Daniel Jones. And you know, I got to turn TV on and listen to smart asses and they go, oh, well, he, oh, 40 million. Shut up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's, it drives me crazy. It really does. You were wrong. You were wrong, my man. Admit it. Oh, but yeah, Daniel Jones, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, he they did okay. But he only threw 15 touchdown passes. You know, I get so tired and sick of hearing that stuff. 
Well, okay, he threw 15. It's not like they got inside the five-yard line and tried to embellish his stats or do this. They were managing games in a very tight, concise way to get rid of the clock, to keep the game close, and find a player two to win. And Daniel Jones didn't do that. He did. He went way beyond that. I thought he had a terrific year. I, of course, being playing for the Giants and being up in this area, I watch all the games. And I really can't think back to a game and just go, well, maybe the Eagles, where you were not, you weren't even okay. Most of the games I watched and just went, wow, Daniel Jones played really well. And a lot of those games he played great. But he needs more help, right, Phil? That's the understatement of the century. I mean, give him a give him some help. They did a great job of managing the team, calling plays, him running it, and give him some help. And you know, but the narrative was already set with him, right, Dan? It, it, it is with all these guys, you know. We, and they can't back off of it, you know. Well, the first three years he finally had a good year, and so what? He's one of four, and I just it's it's wrong, it's wrong, and it's it's stupid. And I hear I that's why I can't even watch TV some mornings as I'm working because I know what's going to come out of the mouth of all, all these kind of guys. And uh, everybody's an expert on the quarterbacks. And let me tell you out there, you're not. So, and I'm not either, but I'm, I know more than they do. And Daniel Jones was terrific this past year. You think the Giants would be in the market for DeAndre Hopkins if they're right? Because I'm hearing the Cardinals are going to release them because yeah. of the money, 19 million bucks. And then there's 15 million the next year. It's just too much on the cap, especially since they signed that quarterback to that 46-1 per so, again, somebody like D-Hop, he was on pace before he got hurt, Phil, for 1,300 yards and 113 catches. I mean, this guy's still got some gas in the tank. Are they in the market, you think, for a veteran wide receiver? Because look what Amari Cooper did for Dak. Look what A.J. did for Jalen. I mean, if we're going to make him go to another level, look at what Stephon Diggs did for Josh Allen. Would Brian Dable be in that room? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I would say this. DeAndre Hopkins, even watching him last year, he has an unbelievable presence on the field. It's it's unbelievable. I think he's the best third down receiver in the game. Oh my god! I mean, just get it close. That's all. I've never seen anything like it. He's long, long arms. Of course, the biggest. I don't know who's got bigger hands, him or OBJ. But you know, they got they you can hand catch everything. They can make the contested catches, and people were scared. Deep, defensive backs, even though I don't think DeAndre Hopkins has that top speed anymore, yep. they're still scared of him. When I watched him. And I kind of watched him quite a bit, all of his plays from last year, that, you know, he's they're going to give him a lot of plays and he can make those contested catches. And I think he just has a presence that can change your offense when he's on the field. Do the Giants, I have no real feel at all. Would they be in that market or whatever? I'm going to say no. I, I think they might draft one here this year, but I think they, they've done a lot with their receiving core. We'll see how it comes together and see what they think when it comes draft day. Well, I got to do this to you, Phil. A couple last questions for you here. No, but no, I gotta, let's I do it. I got plenty of time, and I want to talk. Okay, good, good. <laughs> well, then let me throw this at you here. Well, as a kid growing up in the New York area, and, of course, Robert Stully back there hanging oh, out, yeah. you know the whole Let's history of being the Giants. Great. Well, let me go here and say this. When the most famous people in the building, when you're a Jet fan, is Joe Namath and Fireman Ed. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean – and you got a guy who bangs on his head all day long, and that's the second most popular jet in history. Um, in my opinion, I mean, isn't this appropriate at Aaron Rodgers and the Jets? I mean, this just looks like a nightmare made in hell, and it's a perfect scenario. Do you think this thing gets done right around the draft, or do you think it gets done at all? 
Oh, I think it's going to get done. Okay. I, I, I mean, I do. And I don't. Um, What's your take on Rodgers? I think he'll be motivated. Uh, I think it uh, will push him. And, you know, I, I think there would also be, you know, sometimes when you're nervous at an athletic event or it's coming up, it makes you just grind a little harder and get a little more ready than ever before, especially when people doubt you. So Aaron Rodgers, no doubt he had a subpar year. So a lot of people are saying things about him. Well, you know, it's really going downhill and all this. Well, he's a prideful man. There's no way you're as good as he was for as long as he has been without without not having a lot of pride and all that. And, of course, he, there's nothing better for him than to tr- say, I'll show you. So I think it's going to work. I'm excited for it to work just from what I do and what you do and all that. And as we I would all take have, you in a 60-minute football game over that dude nine times out of ten. Oh, God, no. Listen, Aaron hey, Rodgers, Phil, come on. he's still one of the greatest – throwers of the football in history he is but get this i tell people this all the time phil tom brady looked like ichabod crane coming out of college (laughs) what's the difference and why is that guy's resume that way you know why he's an overachiever with a lumber yard on his pro on his shoulder and he's a savant and he outworked that guy in in green bay you're right best thrower of the football most talented guy i've ever seen throw the football but at the end of the day he didn't do the work that Brady did. He outworked them. And, Phil, you know this better than anybody. You can outwork talent. Listen, Tom Brady, you're right. I'm going to say that Bruce Bruce Arian said it once during the year or two years ago when he was a coach or whatever. And he goes, I've never been around a quarterback ever. And Bruce Arians has been around a lot of good ones who likes to throw the football more than Tom Brady. He doesn't mean throw it in the games. The guy is always on the field throwing, throwing, throwing. And I just go, yeah, no, I would like to do when you're great at something, you can't do it enough, man. It's yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like eating a steak and taking a bite and going, that's the best steak I've ever tasted, but I'm not going to eat the rest. No, you're going <laughs> to eat it. And it's the same with him throwing his mechanics. You know, I'm a big mechanic guy. There's always reasons why we, somebody is a great thrower and a passer of the football, just it's like golf work is amazing. Well, it's everything. It's the body. It's how you do it. But long story short, Tom Brady technically could be one of the most perfect mechanical guys I've ever watched throw the football. And that's why he could do it so much. That's why at 44, he still could drive it in there when he needed to. And, you know, I always say he was, oh, shoot, my phone. Sorry. And I always say, I got to turn it off here, that he was great in the pocket. And why was he great in the pocket, Dan? Because he had no choice. From high school, run. his whole life, he had to survive by working the pocket. Even He was never a threat to run out. Even in high school, they're going, don't worry about the quarterback. He's not going to run. Better than Montana in the pocket? Tom Brady's the best I've ever seen. Wow. He's the best I've ever seen. And I don't know. I, yeah, Joe Montana was really good, but Tom Brady was – really special well, it isn't it more about pro- also besides the technique isn't it about also processing the intel that's in front of you also that you know some guys i always said this about vinnie testaverde who i played with i love vinnie to death right. you look at bernie bernie saw the field he was nowhere the athlete that vinnie was but you know what he did he just processed everything he knew where to go he sidearm three quarters whatever he got it there Vinny kind of meandered back in the pocket. His footwork wasn't always the best. You know, he kind of tapped a little bit back there. And you're like, 
how can that guy not be better than that guy? It's just because somebody told me, Bill Walsh told me, it was about processing the intel in your feet. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I know what to say to that. You know, Vinny was so physically gifted that I'm sure that slowed down the process for him of processing what he's doing sometimes. Huh. And, you, you know, I always say this too, when you control the football, which so many of these good quarterbacks do now, I was thinking about this driving home today. I went to, I was outside, I actually watched some young quarterbacks throw. And uh, I just go, when you throw the football and you know where it's going to go and you don't even think about it, you got great control of it, you become a tremendous decision maker. You don't doubt yourself. You're not worried about throwing it out here anywhere or whatever. You know you're going to put it exactly where you want it. So the window could be tight, but you know that I got that little lane and you you fit it in there. Where if you're a little uh, unsure about how you're throwing it that day, then that lane's tight and you don't take advantage of it because – yeah, you're not real sure. And the other thing is, too, and this I really believe this is true, too. Quarterbacks are throwing it better than ever. One, just because they work at it more. It's part of the job more than we've ever seen it and all that. But the football, Dan, the football they're throwing, my gosh, it is totally different from 20 years ago. Huh. You, I mean, you ever picked up an NFL? How so, football? Phil? How Hell, so? It sticks to your hand. You're like. Wow. Oh, so it's not the smooth because I remember you guys used to always have to do this. You'd get the ball out of the box and you'd throw the ball because I saw Rivers doing this. I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm throwing it against the cement to rough it up. Absolutely. And, and those footballs were slick as hell back in the well, day. You see that orange jersey or whatever you want to call that color? What is that when you call it? <laughs> that used to be the color of footballs. Now they're black. Huh. You ever watch an NFL game? Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. It was black. Yeah. And that's because they can put they now the NFL, they don't even care. And really, it's a great move. What when we were in it there, oh your football, you used this last week in the game. We marked, and I go, so what? You're not throwing it, you know, let it go. But and I had I got an argument with some more officials over the footballs. But now, you know, huh. rightly done by the NFL, let them fix them the way they want, what makes the quarterback happy. And, you know, I get them from the Giants every once in a while and always bring footballs to workouts because some kids, oh, I forgot my football coach. You know, I want to say, well, then go home. But, uh, <laughs> but I give them the ball, Dan, and I just pick it up and go, oh, my gosh, the, these footballs are terrific. <laughs> That's why college players, I think, for two reasons, the footballs, <laughs> the texture's great. So don't laugh. But they're rounder, and it's just, to me, the NFL ball is easier to throw than a college football. I got to ask you this about Dak Prescott. I mean, Phil, $49 million this year. Dude. Wow, is it really? If not now, when? I mean, Phil, it, you've got to think, if you're Jerry Jones, you've got buyer's remorse here on this a bit. I mean, Phil, again, I mean, I, I keep throwing the money out there because it affects the cap and the talent on your roster when yeah. you're losing guys every year because you're paying the quarterback. So maybe I should have prefaced this, Phil, when I said the reason I bring the money up is it affects your defense. It affects your old line. It affects everything on your roster when you're not winning with that guy who's making a majority of the cap. I mean, what, I mean, when does this become a point where Jerry goes, all right, man, I mean, we're not going anywhere with this. Well, I haven't looked at it. Is this the last year of his, his guaranteed deal? I think he's got one more year. I think there's another year next another year, and that's going to go $53 million. Yeah, you know, see, I, I like I said, I'm not really I, – I don't really – Warren Sapp 
kind of yelled at me one day. We were doing inside the NFL, and he says, listen, there's two things you don't talk about. I go, yeah, what are they? Family and uh, somebody's money. And I go, good point. I won't. <laughs> or his waistline. <laughs> but, hey, it's all good. I <laughs> but let me just say this about Dak Prescott. You know, who we saw early in his career, that guy, you, you know, he could he was running and making plays like Jalen Hurts. But he's kind of lost that. I know the injury, but time takes it away from you too. NFL quarterbacks, here we go. Here they are. Let's just say they're equal to the defense and speed, you know, which is not, not true. But just to say that, here's the NFL quarterback after one year. Oop, not quite as fast. Two years. Oh, three. Oh, oh all of a sudden. What does the defense do, Dan? Faster, mm. faster. Yeah. So the separation comes quick. And your ability to be a dynamic runner can die fast in the NFL because what NFL player is going to train like he did in college? Quarterback, I'm talking about. What one? No. Nobody. You're not going to go in that weight room, you know, all the time during the offseason, do everything. They run you to death. You know that. And you come out of college, and it's about as you're, that's the fastest you're ever going to be. And you're slowly going to lose some of that. So that's why we see quarterbacks run, 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 whatever. They make the transition because sooner or later, you're going to make that living in the pocket. And my point being this I don't think Dak is an elite thrower of the football. I think that's part of the thing that hurts him. I thought he lost control of the football way too much this past season. You know, good quarterbacks don't lose control of it. Was that because of the injury to Pollard at the end there, too, when they lost him and didn't have a running game, Phil? Well, that hurt him, yeah. But, you know, also it was the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And in and their place and all that and that speed and everything else. Did they have a chance to win the game? Yes, they did. I watched that game close and studied it, and it was there to be had for the Dallas Cowboys. But they he didn't make the read or didn't make the throw, let's say, four or five times in the game that I thought was really the difference in the game. Final question here, okay? Um, tell me I'm wrong here, or tell me if you see my point here. Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan does not protect his quarterback when he was the OC with RG3. Every quarterback he's coached in San Francisco has been heard from Garoppolo to Lance to Purdy. This guy had some sort of half-assed blocking system against the Eagles. They took his guy out in the third play. I mean, Phil. He is so brilliant at designing plays, taking Debo Samuel and doing things with him. He's got a history of not protecting his quarterbacks and getting these guys hurt. Am I off base when I say that about Kyle Shanahan? Well, I think a little bit. You know, RG3 and certain things, the running and the aggressiveness of what they did, of course. And RG3 wasn't the guy that ran down the field and avoided contact. Okay. I mean, he took some big hits during his. Oh, his style of play kind of resulted more in that injury. Somewhat. But, you know, too, there's many teams that do it in the NFL and they still do it. And, you know, I've always disagreed with it. When you try to take a tight end and you try to block a defensive end, then I don't know what to say. You know, here we go. That's what happened to the 49ers. Their tight end was trying to block who, who got the. Hassan Reddick is that Hassan Reddick yeah. took him out. Well, Hassan Reddick went around the tight end like he was not even there, you know. And then uh, Johnson comes in the game, and what happens? Well, they put two tight ends to block him. Well, he went right around him and not almost. I don't think I can't remember now. Oh, he hit him too. He hit him too right away. I mean, right so, at the end of the game, Christian McCaffrey's quarterbacking. I know, but th that's the the old West Coast. What they all like to use that 
certain play that have the tight end block the backside and all that. And, you know, I don't know. I was raised differently for 15 years in the NFL. Defensive lineman, you're always going to be blocked by an offensive lineman. We're not going to put a tight end on you. I'll put a tight end on you if we have the tackle too, but not a tight end and running back. We'll get them both over there. Oh, yeah, that'll slow some of these guys. Listen. I'm sure Jaworski wishes they had listened to you early before when they were putting a tight end on LT. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, it's it, it's it really, it really is. But I, I don't know what to say. That, that's – I see it every week in the NFL, that same blocking scheme, and I swear I just it, – it's I'm a little tainted. It seems to never work. And never, uh, it never, It never does. Phil, since we're based in Philly – Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor. You had to start your defense with one of those players. Who would it be? Well, the best one I ever played against, of course, was Reggie White. And um, and he hit me so much that I think he actually liked me at the end. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'd probably tell you these stories. I'm going to say it real quick. We're playing in New York. It's really cold. It's just the worst weather to ever play the Eagles in. And Reggie White and Jerome Brown, they are having a field day. They're, I'm throwing it, and they're blowing me up. And one time I throw it, and they both hit me, take me to the ground. I'm like, oh, I'm you know moaning a little, like trying to get up. And they pick me up, and they're slapping me on the butt, going, come on, you can hang in there. <laughs> I can remember like it was yesterday. Come on, hang in there. You Come on, you can, you can do it. And I thought, are they showing me respect, or are they making fun of me? <laughs> But, you know, I, I say this all the time. It wasn't about football. It was about survival playing. How about this one here? I got right, one for you. Got? This was sent to me here. And oh. he goes, I hear you're having Sims on. Ask him how his pisser was for about a month. I, I ask him how he felt after I hit him in an exhibition game. And I'm going, what? He goes, ask Phil how he felt after we played him. Because I remember when I was a kid, the Giants and the Jets used to play exhibition football. It was like your oh. last one. Before yes. the season started, it was real, and you guys played all the time. He goes, I laid Phil out so bad, I um, heard him four weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> he he was coming free, I guess, on a game, you know, they stunted, and he's coming up the middle unblocked. And I see him, it's like slow motion, and my tight end is open about seven yards in the middle of the field, right behind him. And I had to make a decision like this. Am I going to stand up tall and throw over the top of him and let him hit me or just throw it away? Well, I stood up, <laughs> threw it over the top. He hit me right here, Dan. And I, I, I flew through the air, landed on my rear end. I had a bruise and a blood sack in my butt, my bone. But right here, my chest bone, for I'm going to say 10 years, I would go like this and it would pop because oh of that my hit my head. I mean, between him and Joe Klecko and uh, Reggie White, that was enough. Well, God, Charles Haley. Oh, he was. Oh, a, man, you played. And back then, Phil, they could annihilate you guys. Yeah, there's no roughing a damn passer. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you get more roughing the passer now from Boomer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no. I rough his ass up. You got it back to I'm Reggie White. <laughs> but, you Phil, know, I heard you talking. I to just, you. What's that? No, just real quick. You know, the draft, I'm, I'm really anxious to see where these quarterbacks go. Somebody asked me last now, are year. Are they really that? I, I don't. I look at the class and go like this. Are they overdrafting them again? Yes, of course. And the way you're looking at it, they're overdrafted. But 
Um, you know, everybody's. Would you take Bryce Young number one? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this question. I'll, I'll say this. Bryce Young is one of the best football players I've studied all offseason. Absolutely. I will also say this about him. He probably has the best feet of a quarterback that I've ever watched in all the years. That He's 5'10 and a half, 185, 190. I've met him many times, um, all that. He's really, really good, and I don't know. I, I really got a stinky. It's kind of changing now. Everybody's starting to talk about the Panthers are going to take Bryce Young. So I, I don't know. I talked to Frank Reich, and we've had we had him on the program about a month ago, and I asked him about the process. My problem with CJ Stroud is this, and Phil, help me if you don't if you buy into this too, because I look at CJ and go, so Ohio State's had a program for 157 years. They've right. never had a quarterback come out of that program that was a decent NFL star to go along and be somebody at the next level. I'm going to believe that this guy is going to break that trend and is that guy because I look at the corners in the Big Ten and go like this, Phil. The windows are wide open. It's not the Southeastern Conference. The Southeastern Conference has better athletes. And I look at it and go, I watched him against Indiana kind of struggle. You're telling me you think this guy's going to come in and break the mold? I don't believe it. Hey, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold that against him. I don't care about their. Okay. Their, listen, I don't care about their history. I don't care about Ohio State's one loss record. I don't care about his damn completion percentage or his stupid ass quarterback rating. <laughs> I'm judging him. You know, separate it all and judge just him. That's why. What do you think? We don't know if he can move. Well, I watch Ohio State every week on TV because uh, that's the great thing about the job. On Saturday, yeah. I'm working. I got what we're going to do, and I'm going to watch college football. I know a bunch of people at Ohio State, a lot of their players, so I'm always clued into their games. And I think he's really good. And I think this whole talk, well, is he mobile? Well, then you didn't watch the games. Enough. No, he's mobile. He's a very – I mean, oh, well, he finally the Georgia game. He showed it all year long. I don't know what you're looking at. He moves. To, he moves to throw the ball. I think he moves a lot like Deshaun Watson. I think he reminds me of that kind of guy back there that he's looking to make passes, making plays with his arm, but he moves around and creates passing lanes with his feet, and he's good at it. I and mean, he's he's, you big. see him good at it, Phil. Yeah, I've watched him a lot. I mean, I, like I said, I watched him. I, I talked. In fact, I was talking to one of the other quarterbacks on their team, and I thought, well, this guy is going to pick CJ apart. No, he's a great dude. He works really hard. He practices well every single day. Uh, he's a really good decision maker. He can throw it in the tight spots. Um, you know, there's a lot to like about him. And But I'll go back to this. Are we overvaluing a lot of these quarterbacks? Yes, but it's just a position that's crazy. I mean, I look at Anthony Richardson and I go like this. I saw, I mean, he's 50-some-odd percent completion percentage in college. And like I said about Sam Darnold, he turned the ball over a lot in college. Dude, you think that's going to improve in the NFL where you're not going to be a turnover machine like that? It's not. So well, I mean, I'd say this to you. Here, here's my take. It should change. He's going to be coached differently. It's going to be a more friendly offense for him to have success. Phil, to your point here, check it out. I said the reason that Josh Allen is developing into the player he is, how much good coaching do you think he got at Wyoming? Well, how many guys, you know, as I said, I look, I had so many arguments about Josh Allen when he was coming out. And I mean, I literally, I lost friends over it in the business. 
oh, he's so inaccurate. And I tell, hey, you know, inaccurate. First off, he's playing in Wyoming. They played in blinding snowstorms, the wind. No talent. He threw more passes off the faces of receivers. Good and junior yet, year, not the best senior year because of no talent. How many guys got drafted off that team? <laughs> I can't think of one. Uh, I don't think there was any. What do you think of a kid from Kentucky, Phil? Uh, he's, he's a Connecticut kid um, for what the Penn State and then transferred. What do you make? Yeah, of no, I know him well. I listen. Last summer, Boomer actually said, "What do, what do you think about the quarterbacks next year?" And I said, "Well, okay." I said, "Bryce Young and, and of course C.J. Stroud." And I said, "The guys that really Levis will see at Kentucky." But I said, "Hendon Hooker." At Tennessee, I go, he's one you got to really watch because I studied them all last off. Hey, he's so. flying up the board too. They're saying he may jump into the first round. Uh-oh. Wow, really? Oh, who said that? Go look at my Twitter account. I about about late February, I said Hendon Hooker. I mobile. I can't believe. Oh, he's, he's flying up the board now. I, well, yeah, because everybody opened their eyes and we got off this. You know, the two quarterback thing. Who's it going to be? And, yeah, I kind of find it funny all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, Hendon Hooker. Well, where were all these? When I watched all these lists, I never saw his name up there at all. Why do you like him, Phil? Because he wins games? No. 6'3". But he looks like he's 6'5". Huh. Uh, So he's a big dude. He's a big dude. And um, can really run. That's the other thing. He might be the second best runner in this whole draft. Behind in quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson might be one. Then I would say Hendon Hooker is the next best mobile quarterback. I mean, he can really make plays. He's accurate as hell. And here's my other one, Dan. Yeah, I love this one. Well, you know that offense is so different in Tennessee. It'll be a tough adjustment to the NFL. Shut up. Be quiet. <laughs> what we're running an offense. He reads it one, two, three. Oh, it's a little different. Why? Because they line up wide. They're still running all the same plays everybody else does. I think Josh Heupel's offense is really clever. And I would honestly think this. I think some teams in the NFL are going to copy some of that stuff. And it, it did make the reads where most of the time they would line up. And if there's three guys on two, well, I look over here. Oh, there's two on two. Oh, which side am I going to go? Think about that. And then they – so it was really well-designed – He's very accurate, spins the ball, and if he didn't have this ACL, I think he'd have been a he'd have been a top five or ten Phil, pick. Phil, Bruce Aarons was on three weeks ago, and he's I asked him about these Uh-oh. dual threat guys, and he said, "I think it's here to stay." I mean, yeah. they're seeing we're seeing more of that, but he also said this: if you're going to have a dude like that, you better have a dude that resembles that. That's your backup quarterback because yeah. you can't have where you have a pure drop back guy sitting back there behind a guy who's a dual threat guy. I think the Eagles ran into a little bit of that issue because Minshew, they gave him the RPO. He ran out there. Dude, a kicker could outrun the guy, and he didn't fit in, and it just was a bad look. So do you agree, Phil, if you got a guy like like a Hooker or Richardson or someone like that or Lamar Jackson or Hurts, you got to have somebody that duplicates that style of play. Well, you don't want to have an offense – that fits the starter, and then oh, here comes the backup. Now we got to eliminate thirty or forty percent of what we're doing. It doesn't even make sense. Now it's not easy to do, I think, for some of these teams. But I think what you're saying is true, and I think more and more teams, as we saw Philadelphia with Marcus Mariota, that's a great fit. And you know he's a veteran and all that. I think all these teams are going to have to start doing that, and it, it's going to be hard sometimes. You know, it's like oh, we got Josh Allen. Let's go find another Josh Allen to back him up. Well, good luck on that. 
But the good thing is, yeah, the run game changes, the scrambling changes, but you're still going to run the, the majority of your pass plays and all that uh, with, with the backup quarterback too. So Phil, when you're working with quarterbacks, do you see more of that style versus the old traditional drop back that you, you deal with more in your, or do you, are you still seeing, because to me, it looks like harder to find the seven step guy versus the guy who could get out in space and use some athleticism. I'm seeing more of those guys. Are you, well, one, you know, when you're playing the position now, you don't have to run a four or five to be successful. No. If you can get out of the pocket and pick up five yards, then to me, that's great. Break whatever it is. But my son, this, this is all he does is he teaches quarterbacks and schools and whatever. So I'm with him all the time and doing it. And look, we teach them all like Patrick Mahomes. I, that, that gives you an example. How to throw on the run, what to do move, throw, run left, throw right, all that, and because that's the game. The game is now we've opened it up and it's spread out more on the field and the quarterbacks are going to have – I think it's they're going to escape, get out of the pocket. Now can you make all those throws? You know, sidearm throws, dip down low and throw it, throw it across the field, run right, throw left. Oh, you can't throw back across the field. Well, we don't say anything when it's completed, but as soon as the ball's, oh, you know, you can't throw the ball across the field. That's another. Just take that one and burn it. That's the stupidest thing. Hell, we'd lost 300 good plays in the NFL if we said you couldn't do that. That's part of the game now. you got to be able to do those throws. And that's one of the things I look at with these quarterbacks in college. By and large, I would say they're, none of them are very good throwers on the run because they don't know how. They run out here. Does that include Bryce Young? Bryce Young is one of the better ones, if not the best. Okay. DJ's pretty good too. But, you know, when you're on the run, you got to change your arm angles, and it's got to be natural. It's really easy to teach. It's the easiest thing to teach there is, Dan. I mean, kids, once they learn to do it, they go, yeah. I said, yeah, no, it's, it's great. Now you see the fun. Now you're going to make the defense go, let's don't let this guy get out of the pocket because he can really throw on the run. And that really happens to young kids and high school kids that that I'm around and watch. It, it's amazing. You would be amazed if you came and stood behind us as, let's say, six quarterbacks who we think were pretty good throwing in front of us, and you watched them work out, you would just go, oh, my God, high school kids, you know. It's, inc it's incredible to see the um, development of some of these guys. Patrick so Mahomes think, changed the world for everybody. He sure now did. So do, you think, do you think the best quarterback is in next year's draft, Caleb Williams? Oh, uh, Caleb Williams. Um, who else am I thinking of? Michael Pinnock. How about the kid at UNC? That kid that? Drake. I watched him a little here last week. I'm not going to give an opinion on him yet. It didn't blow me away. Jordan Travis, FSU kid. Where, what, where's he from? Jordan Travis, the FSU kid. Yeah, I didn't study him. I, I tell you who I really jumped out at me last year and caught me by surprise is Bo Nix at Oregon. Bo Nix, a lot of experience, right? Was at Auburn and then transferred up to uh, – Big, can run – and throwing it better in an offense that makes him, you know, that Auburn offense. Oh my God. And he was down there. Oh, what are you talking about? It was like your giant offense. <laughs> no, no, that was at least we had good pass concepts. <laughs> hey, hey, Phil, do you ever regret? I watched you one game. I was still in high school at the time. I watched you throw for almost 600 yards or some shit. 
And I was like, holy shit, this guy could really put a lot of yards up. But then I thought you were Aikman before Aikman, where you played in a structured with guardrails this big. Did you ever wish, Phil, that you played in the offense that truly showcased more of your ability to throw the ball? Because obviously you could. I saw I watched every giant game. You could have you could have thrown for 350 yards, but you well, didn't. And you stayed within the, the structure of the game. We didn't build our team that way. The team was built to be big. Yeah, but not every quarterback, Phil, stays in that scheme the way things are. I mean, Dan Marino did not. The thing Jimmy Johnson told me why Dan Marino and him had problems was this. He wanted to come in and change the offense. Marino went like this. We were fourth in offense last year. Jimmy wanted to run the ball to help him. Just like the way Elway got helped when they put Terrell Davis in there. Dan didn't want any of that. He didn't want to deal with that. That's why there was friction. Well, I think that we were both. I mean, you know, many times, just think about when we won our first Super Bowl. I mean, those last six, eight games of the year, we were crushing and throwing the ball, I thought. You did? Yeah. So, you know. Especially in the Super Bowl. We we weren't built with receivers. It was a different age. You know, I've, I'll never forget this. There was an article written, and the guy writes, I can't believe it. Phil Sims in the last two years has thrown for more yards than anybody in the NFL, except who? Dan Marino. And well, okay. And you know, they, but it was so condescending. I'm like, oh my God. But when we had to throw, it was, we did create a few things. I'll say this, Dan, we were not even close. The best scene throwing team in the league. Huh? I mean, we created the back shoulders. I mean, we really did. As, as I, I tell these stories all the time, I'm real quick to you. We're playing the Steelers last exhibition game. You know, I'm pretty careful. Just want to play my first half and get out of the game. So I don't make any really tough decisions or whatever. We're watching the film. Mark Bavaro's running the route. He's covered by the linebacker doing a, like a outside deep route. And uh, Parcells goes, why don't you throw it to him? I said, because he's covered. You know, I'm like, I'm ready to argue if we're going to argue about this. He's covered. He goes, Sims, you don't understand. When he's covered, he's open. And I didn't even argue the point. I said, I got it. I know what you're talking about. So no matter what did Mark Bavaro did, I don't care if the guy was all over him. You were just throwing it to areas then. I would throw it behind him, throw it low, throw it high, and the damn guy never dropped it. And it became – and I'll never forget, I'm in the Pro Bowl. John Robinson's the coach, and I put in three of our plays. He goes, put in some – so I got on the board, and he goes to me, I I just don't know how you all do that. He goes, I watch your – it's so dangerous. I go, it's not dangerous to us because that's what we do. So during that game – I throw like three seams and hit them all and hit one for a big touchdown. And I'm getting ready to go out for the next series once. And I said to coach Robinson, anything you want? He goes, yeah, throw some more of those seams. <laughs> <laughs> and I just laughed. I was going, Oh my God. It was, it was, he, listen, he was some cool dude. I loved him. And I think he, am I right or wrong? Is he still on the sidelines at LSU? John Robinson. John Robinson was down there with, um, Ed Ogeron? Ed Ogeron. And I thought I saw him again this year, you know, and he's got to be, I, I don't know how. Oh, oh he's, I know this, that he's got, he had a place in San Diego. I know he had a place out there because obviously him and him and Zampezi and the old general manager of the, uh, of the, of the um, Washington Bethard? commanders, Bobby Bethard, they all yeah. kind of like hung out and such. Yeah. And I know that he's been doing, 
Ed Ogeron's a dear friend of mine, and I love him. And I remember seeing him there. I don't know if Brian Kelly. Yeah, Brian Kelly him. might not have kept him around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I, 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 it's funny you should say that. I never thought about that. And I'm like, holy cow, man, that's right. John Robinson was a great coach, man. Oh, I, man, I, listen. It, you know, I always say this. It's amazing how they, he was this close to greatness. They never could get over the top. You know, they were so close, so much. They what ran the hell out of the football like you guys did, too. Oh, I mean, they I mean, just totally ran. Hey, O.J. Anderson, think he belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Sure. And we got a couple of players that it really – that I don't even hear their names. I get Bavaro on, and he's a friend of mine. And I go to Mark, and Mark goes, what are you making a tight end today? He goes, Dan, you think Jay Novacek's a tight end? I go, no, I don't. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes like this. He goes, Sills, you think Jason Kelsey's a tight end? I go, no. I don't. <laughs> and he goes, you see, you're from my era. And I go, he goes, do you actually think any of these tight ends are Ozzie Newsome? Or do you think that they are Kellen Winslow? I go, no, they're not. And he goes, well, here's what I did. Phil threw to me on third down and Phil threw to me and we moved the sticks. We ran the ball and we killed teams at the point of attack. He goes, what I did was I not guy. Guess who I played against? Bruce Smith. Yeah. I played against Reggie White. I played against all these guys, and I blocked the shit out of them, and I would also catch. You think Jay Novacek is blocking Reggie White? And I went, uh, I don't think so. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, I know we've been long. I was to say this. I just got done watching all the tight ends in the draft. The cat with the kid from Notre Dame, do you like him? Yeah, he doesn't. I just don't go. <laughs> I, get, I got a new Phil, Phil Sims mannerism is this. Do you like him? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I not, I didn't want. I, I watched, of course, Notre Dame games because Jack Cohn is a kid that we know really well. Yeah, the kid from North um, New Canaan. Yeah. So, um, no, he's not New Canaan. That's Drew Pine. Oh, Drew Pine. That's right. Drew Pine. Jack, was Jack Cohn was a year before. They went eleven and one. Yeah. And, yep. Uh, I'd ask him a lot about him, so I watched him. But yeah, he's a really good. He's he's a good player, but I don't look at him as as a guy that's going to change the game. You know, I don't see the explosiveness. Uh, I know he had a very productive career at Notre Dame. I like him, but you know, it, it just didn't it didn't jump off at me when I watched him on TV, and it didn't jump off at me when I watched four of his games just what here. What tight end do you like today? Oh, geez. Oh, in the league. Well, you know, listen, the way the league is. No, 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 Phil. To... What tight end would you want to play with? Well, you mean I would take Bavaro, of course. You know, no, no, no. Over. The guy in the game today that you think that you would want to play with today. Oh, I uh, Travis Kelsey and Kittle for you know just because. All right, yeah. What do you make it a kid in New? What do you make it a guy in Philly? Goddard. I like him too. You know, but I, you know, tight ends now. I it's hard to find. As I was watching all of it, I go, yeah, very average blocker. The the, the whole draft. I don't know if I remember. I have to look at my sheets again because it. My mind's mush after watching them all, but I didn't see any that were, I'm going to say, oh, they no. could line up as a tight end and actually block a no. defensive end. No chance. I just, I didn't see one of those guys. All of them have the same look. It's the new thing. Yeah. College football is, we're going to see 10 tight ends every year. They all have the look, but they're all the same guy. Yeah. Pretty, except Darnell Washington down in with Georgia. Yeah. That he, kid, that kid, that kid next year. That's coming out, that Bowers kid. He's everything. He's everything that people are advertising. He looks the size of Bavaro oh, with big. the hands of Kelsey. 
Yeah, he's he's got it all. He can run, he can block, he can play in the line of scrimmage, play in the slot and all that. And the big tight end from Georgia is coming out. I don't know if he's going to – he's not going to go in the first round. But I think he's 6'7", he's huge, yep. he's big, and he's going to be able to block guys at the point of attack there and stuff like that. But most of them are all 6'5", lean, and they're kind of runners and catch the ball. And most of them do this, Dan. They're behind the line of scrimmage, and they go across and try to angle block and kick people out. They don't – yeah. They got the real tight end at the line of scrimmage. They put the other guy over here. You run over there and kick the guy out or just get in the way. But you don't see him line up and just dominate defensive linemen or outside linebackers. So, but it's a new it's a new era. It was what? Running backs? Then it's we turned soft, over. Phil. It's soft. I don't know what to say. The NFL wants scoring. So if scoring goes down, they want to stretch out, rules. Phil. They want space. They don't want hitting. They have Wide receivers now with illegal contact, um, defenseless receivers. The quarterbacks can't get hit. Dude, I'm telling you, I tell everybody this. Can you imagine Jerry Rice and Joe Montana in today's NFL where you oh. couldn't hit him or Mug Rice? They'd still be scoring. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I was with a group of young quarterbacks. It's been three years now. And we were all sitting around. We were actually having a beer. And I just – I just was having fun Went, oh, man, you guys. And I'm not going to tell you the one that said it. I'll tell you off the air someday. You know, you can't get, you know, all the can't touch, you can't hit you low, this, all this stuff. And the one goes to me, Phil, you don't understand. I said, well, what? He goes, it's life and death now. And I just sit there and I go, you know what? You're right. It's, it's <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> Hey, hey, Phil. You can run so fast that they hit you. I'm telling you, they'll blow you up. So that's you got to help these quarterbacks somewhat. Hey, how many did play last year, Dan? How many yep. guys played the whole year? Very twelve. Very few. I, I think, think Josh 12. Allen did actually. He played the whole year. Yep. Mahomes played the whole year. Yeah. They all hung in. But man, we had I forgot how many we played during the year. It was incredible the number of quarterbacks that played in games last year. I, I have to sneak this in on you, Waller. Getting him to the Giants. What do you make of that move for Daniel Jones? Well, it, I hope it's going to be a huge boost to what they do on injuries the side. have been an issue for him a little bit the last couple of years. Well, I'm I just want to say to Darren Waller, buckle up, <laughs> because that head coach, his one of his main objectives is going to be we're going to get you to really play. Not saying he hasn't, but it's just a different mentality of what he's had huh. as a pro. This coaching staff with the Giants, I'm telling you, they got personality. They relate to their players. And I know I'm an ex-Giant. You know what? I don't care. I'm just telling you the truth. I watched that team, and I, I – Dan, I was astounded what they did this year. That team well, – I, I, I didn't see a lot of talent on that team. Oh, I mean, it's – I mean, it's the same – to me personally, I think Dave Gettleman, the biggest mistake that he made in that entire time when he was there – I mean, Reese, with, Reese and Coughlin were great at putting talent on the field. They couldn't find an offensive lineman for five years. They couldn't. They oh. couldn't get one guy right in the draft at that position. And the mo one of the most important positions, you can't have a first-round draft choice, a quarterback, Phil, in a $2.00 line. And yeah. that's what the Giants went through that whole – it's a decade now, Phil of really not getting it right in the draft. Hey, listen, I, I say it every year. 
and I know you know because you're you know you're 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 old school, but still got enough whatever. But when you look at the playoff teams every year, almost by and large, it's always the best offensive lines. Oh, look, look, look hey is. Phil, look at the Eagles. They have a Hall of Fame center. They have two fifteen million dollar tackles in Malata and in Lane Johnson. Right. You're, if you're Jalen Hurts and you've got two thousand, you got this. You got a play calling center that sets the sets the blocking scheme, Phil. And you got one guy making fifteen and one guy making eighteen million dollars as your bookend tackles. You want to know how you develop a quarterback? And two really good wide right. receivers. <laughs> and a tight end. Really, and a tight I, end, it's fifteen million. I love their. I liked Quez Watkins all year. He just couldn't get the ball because of those other two freaks out there, you know. So, hey, look, they did it. Listen. The design of their football team, that to me, they had one weakness. Well, maybe a couple. They one, couldn't stop the run that well. I didn't think they were a good run defense. They weren't. Day. Yeah. They, they were won. 16th. After they got Sue, Phil, after they got Sue and Linville Joseph, they went from 22 to 6. And here's the other thing they did against quarterbacks. Keep an eye on this next year. What they believed in with Gannon was they didn't want to give up the plus 25. So what they would do? They keep everything underneath and play defense from 20 to 20 and then do something in the red zone and say they didn't play against very good quarterbacks a year ago. So when they did, Dak 77%. Or you get you get a, a, a quarterback like Ryan from um, Indianapolis, 77%. Even Andy Dalton was 80%. So yeah. they completed a lot of passes in the middle and their run defense. And I think – Andy Reid in the second half of that Super Bowl took advantage of that with the crossing plays because they tried shifting and they tried to passing off receivers and they confused them with those routes down there. That I think that was a sec. That was the best second half of play calling I've ever seen Andy Reid have in his entire coaching career because they they just I thought took the uh, Eagle defense to the woodshed in the second half. The Eagle defense all year long, just me. I don't. I didn't look at the numbers. I don't know what they are against motion. And you know what? Again, I don't care. It's it's they couldn't fault. cover tight ends, Phil. They had a trouble covering tight ends and backs out of the backfield, the linebackers. Right. And it reared its head a little bit against Kelsey. But they really struggled with teams that and what did Kansas City do? They started showing motions and stuff. Yep. And that yep. was I thought that's where they really struggled. And Andy Reid, of course, knew that. And they pulled it out every time they needed it. I mean, they it, it was really clever. It was clever stuff, but you could see and I'm sure you watched it close like me, but when the guy went in motion, they're like, oh, you got him. Yeah. If he comes. Well, they were trying to pass it off, and then they, yeah. they just – they. I thought they got confused in the secondary. They did. I, I Again, I think it was it, – it's a tough thing to do, passing them off all the time, and then if you got to stay with him, try to run across the formation, oh, man, you got no chance because they're going to stop, come back. There's so many things. So you really – they almost uh, paralyze you. Just You got to sit there yeah. and react instead of trying to chase. So – Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Phil. But the Eagles did a great job. Uh, I think they're going to be one of the top three or four teams in the whole league again next year. And, you know, the, listen, this quarterback thing and the draft, all that, I'm excited about all of it just to see where it all unfolds and where everybody lands. Phil, I appreciate it. Good Friday to you. Happy Easter to you and your family. You are such a friend of mine. This has been a great classroom to sit here and listen to all this, man. And you know I what's good about Easter or anytime? Oh, everybody's coming to my house. Here, my wife is going to make dinner, whatever. My two boys, you know, what do you think we're going to talk about? <laughs> we, okay, so do you ever get away from it? I know. Somebody says, 
so when y'all get together around the dinner table, what do y'all talk about? I said, what the hell you think we talk about? We want to talk about what we know. And we all pass information and talk and, you know, have some arguments. You know, your boy's public enemy number one in Philly because they, you know, he talks shit on on jail and he goes, you you know, (laughs) listen, it is what it is. When you're in this business, he's honest. I get it. But it's taken so wrong. He, you know, if you say one little thing. now Trust me, Phil. Yeah, I know, you know. <laughs> but you just can't worry about it. They, they People get on me too. What's, what's this, Phil? I said this about Jordan Davis. I go, he's the 13th pick in the draft. He's overdrafted. You can't draft a guy, Vince, Fol- Vince Wolfrick, at 13. You need a pass rusher up that high. He's more of a 20 guy, 25. Yeah. People are like, what are you saying? I go, he had nine sacks in and 43 games at Georgia. He's never going to be more than what he is now. This is who he is. He's a run stopper. He had no sacks this year. And I said, he's still Vince Wolfert is a good player. I said on draft day, he's either going to be Vince. That's the bottom floor. Or he's going to be Fletcher Cox. Okay. He's either going to be one of those guys. I mean, those aren't bad ball players. One's just better than the other. I liked him when he came out. I studied him really hard, Jordan. I liked him. I just don't think he's very productive. He's not going to be Fletcher Cox. Right. Fletcher Cox. Would you take a 10 Jalen Carter. Um, you know, he's here. I, I, I want somebody. I, I have played with Jerome man. Brown and I compared him three days ago to Jerome Brown. Well, then I would take him. Jerome Phil, Brown. I've not seen a guy and I've never compared in my 30 years doing broadcasting since I left the game. I've never compared anybody to Jerome and get this Jerome off the field too a little, a little reckless in his life. I want to have an interview with him. Yeah. Hey, we all make mistakes. Me and him made mistakes at Miami together. Sure. Again, I want to talk to him. My my conversation would be the interview. But when I watch the tape on him, he's a 20-foot guy, which means this. All I need is 20 feet of tape to watch and go like this. Yeah. He's the second best player in the draft of Will Anderson. I mean, if he's there at 10, I've I got see. to take this kid. Oh, okay. You know, I have not studied him yet. I will probably early next week. After I do a few things, I'll do the defensive. And line. text me. You'll 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 go like this. This guy controls the middle of the line. He he go. Phil, well, there's, that's, there, that's, there's, probably, there's probably three guys that flash in this draft: Bijan Robinson, yes. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, and maybe the kid from Texas Tech, Tyree Wilson. Yeah. So those kind of guys that when you watch the tapes on everyone, you're gonna go like this. You'll put a circle around them. Like we used to when we did fifty uh, when we did fifty six, right? It's it's that kind of stuff right there. When you look at those players, well, when you're saying all that, I'll let you go here. Bill Parcells came down the weight room, whatever year that was, and he stood there and said, "Hey, what's going on, Coach?" He goes, "Sims, our life is about to change," and I said, "What?" He goes, "Detroit Lions are going to screw us," and or something like that. I go, "What? Why are you saying that?" Well, the damn Eagles are going to get this guy, Jerome Brown. And I go, is he as good as they say? And he goes, oh, yeah, he's really good. He might be better than Reggie White. And I just Here's went, a flashback oh, for you. <laughs> <laughs> there's, hey, there's a flashback no, for you right there. I was, yeah. hoping, I was hoping Coach was, you know, kind of exaggerating. And, of course, once he got in the league, I said, oh, my God, he's right. Jerome Brown was – he probably – was he going to be a Hall of Famer? Yeah. Isn't that yeah, something? he's a Hall of Fame talent for sure. He was Phil, talent. Let me let you go. All right, Happy Easter to you. Thank you, brother. Man, thank you, man. You bet. Anytime. Let me know.
Great time with Phil Sims. Thank you so much. Guys, do me a favor. Please hit the like button. Absolutely. Got it. We went over an hour with Phil Sims. Fantastic stuff. Hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Heading down the shore. Have a ball once more. Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. My name is uh, Fran Salerno. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Just to be sure, because I just asked Tone, because I think Phil's not in the room paying Jalen Hurts $50 million. But am I right? My takeaway, that he may not think that, but he thinks he's a terrific player. He's just not sold that he could do the things that Mahomes is asked to do when it comes to carrying a football team that's a lesser talent. Is that is that the takeaway? Right. Again, 
my takeaway was I thought he thinks that Jalen's he's fabulous, but he's still suspect on paying that kind of money to him. Is that is that fair tone? So when we post that, I want that to be, I want that to be part of it. Here is that Phil thinks he's good because I don't want I, I don't I, I don't want to misinterpret what what Phil's saying. I didn't come away from that thinking that he didn't like Jalen and they shouldn't continue to go along the process. I think he's suspect with that style of play and paying that style of play. Right, Tone? Is that right? I say it's fair. I got that from him as well. Okay, I want to post that, okay? That feels a little bit suspect if we can. Over on our Twitter page, Jacob Sports and also uh, the Dan Silio Show. I, I thought he was I, – I did not – I did and, – and by the way, he was very complimentary towards the Eagles' chances. I go, do you think the Philadelphia Eagles um, are the team to beat in the East? He goes, oh, my God, yes. I mean, what they've done – I'll tell you what I was kind of a little bit, and maybe I shot a foot back on. Boy, man, he sold on Daniel Jones. That is maybe where I should have probably went back and went, Really? Boy, I'm not. I mean, I probably should have went back at that one. If I had to do that one all over again, wouldn't you say? Um, you probably wanted to go back on that one a little bit. By the way, we're going to – hey, hey, Tone, we're, we got to catch up a, a break here, so we'll do it in a couple minutes, like at around 50, and then we'll have a short one to close it up for um, – uh, for for good Friday, but we're, we're, we went a full hour. Phil gave us really a lot of great stuff there. So we're really appreciative of him being able to do that for, but he covered Mike Lombardi. <laughs> so we thank him for doing that. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't come away going like this. Phil hates him. I'm talking hurts. I, 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 I did not. I, I did not. I did. I, so again, I, people, you know what people are going to do? They're going to take the soundbite and go, Sims hates Hurts too. That's, that's not the case. He like, 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 like Tone says, he's apprehensive a little bit. And he goes, I'm not there yet. I'm paying a guy that kind of money. I'm not there. No, I'm not there paying him that. I, I think that's fair. What I didn't think was, I thought it was a little bit over the top because I think his colors came out a little bit, was that Phil is really in the corner of Daniel Jones. Man, I got to say this to you. And to be fair, I probably should have said something. But there's more question marks on Daniel Jones than there is on Jalen Hurts. I mean, if Jalen Hurts and I'm sitting here doing this, I I didn't think Phil thought he was overrated. I I didn't take that away. I did not take that Phil thought he was overrated, Hurts. I didn't think that. That that wasn't a takeaway I had. Um, but I said seven. I mean, there's one season. I mean, how many games do you think Daniel Jones where you went like this? Wow. The Minnesota game? Man, Minnesota was a paper champion, though. You know, I mean, you're doing great against Minnesota and you put that on the resume and you said, well, he played great against Minnesota. I went like this. And so what? Everyone did. 
everyone that was decent played good against him. Um, he, he obviously doesn't see Jalen as like Josh Allen's and the rest of those guys. But again, I think we, we've come to the conclusion on Hertz that Jalen's a unique ball player. Okay, he's different. He's not going to – hey, everybody drives to the grocery store with a different route, but they get to the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can have a different route and a different lane on how to get somewhere. But at the end of the day, as long as you get there, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive, right? It's arriving. So that's kind of where I went with that. Phil wouldn't pay Hertz a big contract. That's overrated. Yeah, but then he turns around and he goes, Daniel Jones got paid. And I'm like, God, I'm not, man, I'm, dude, if you give me those two dudes, who am I paying, Daniel Jones or Jalen Hurts? I'm going to pay Jalen Hurts. I'm, I'm going to pay Hertz. I'm not paying Daniel Jones that money. I think that kills them. Now, I was I, I thought it was interesting in how he looked at Brian Dable. Brian Dable, he called him a modern-day Bill Parcells. That's high praise. That's high praise coming from Sims, saying that Brian Dable um, is – is is um, the modern day Parcells? Also, remember he said he doesn't want to get too deep into what a guy deserves. Warren Sapp had to let him know. But see, Tone, see Tone, Tone and Sapp to a point are right, technically. But when you pay that guy, Tone, it does affect Warren Sapp. It does affect Dan Cilio. It does affect the safety. It does affect an edge rusher. It's no longer that the quarterback salary shouldn't be part of a conversation because the quarterback's conversation affects the roster. Okay? And so when you, again, right, the quarterback, it's, it's actually a brilliant thing if you think about it with the NFL, right? You're constantly talking about each quarterback in a respected market. Tone, I got to make a timeout. A timeout. So let, let me take a quick one here. Let's take a quick one. Please hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Heading down the shore. Oh, 
Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. My name is uh, Fran Soleno. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. in the best interest of the Philadelphia Eagles to have a long-term deal with Hurts or do you think it's um, in the best interest of the Eagles to have a shorter-term deal? Five years versus, say, seven to eight. What would be in the best interest of the team? Long-term? Short-term? Five-year deal? And the reason I ask the question is because it affects, again, the roster. It affects the roster. Jones was a round one guy. I, 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 I can't believe Phil is that sold on him. I'm just a little perplexed on that, but... Razor says Hertz is the youngest quarterback to have a completion percentage over 70% in a Super Bowl. The youngest QB to throw for 300 yards without an interception in a Super Bowl. Okay. I mean, and yet, with all that being said, Foles had one of the greatest performances of all time, and he went nowhere. I mean, Razor, I get it. And, I mean, let's be candid. Uh, Foles had a great year one year. What was it? Two interceptions he had one season. Okay. I mean, yeah, man. I mean, I think Phil's just a little apprehensive on that style of play. Cause you know why? I think he falls into the same. I think he falls into the same conversation that I have to have sometimes. Hey, look, man, this is just a different NFL today. Seven step guys, man. It's a different ball game today. Hey, what I did think was interesting. How about, hey, Tone, what he said about Hurts getting injured. 
He goes, listen, when you got a dual threat quarterback, I thought this, I never thought of this. And Phil changed my opinion on dual threat here a little bit. He said this in the middle of the interview about Hertz's style of play. He goes, remember something, you have more control over your, your body in open space if you're dual threat than you do in the pocket. He goes, when you're in the pocket and you're, you get hurt, there's more of a chance in, that, in, in there where it's going to be a catastrophic injury versus him out in open space. And it made total sense. He said, Tone, I was a little shocked by that, but it makes complete sense. You know, you know what to do. Well, let me get down. Let me get out of bounds. Let me throw the ball away. Let me not take this hit. Let me get, you have more control over your body in open space. So the thing in Chicago that I said, he got hurt because he, that's just a fluke. That's a fluke. It's more of a fluke in open space. Tone said, he said, the pocket is more dangerous than open field. Had to be one of the takes of the interview because he's right. I I, I never had looked at it like that. Sills, when you're running with the ball, you know where you're going. Do I need to get down? Do I need to slide? Do I need to throw the ball out of bounds? Hey, do I need to like flip it? Can I throw an incomplete pass? I can ground it. I have more control over my destiny on my body. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And when you're in the pocket, how many times do you see blindside, blindside hits on the quarterback? Guy blows his knee up. You got no control of that. But I think those injuries affect the dual threat guy more. Because if you take the wheels away from Jalen, that's a problem with his career moving forward. Okay, that's a problem more with his career moving forward because he relies on all aspects of his game. I thought that was a, just an absolutely sensational take where it's more dangerous in the pocket. And when Hertz is in open space or Lamar, I was, I, I, his take on Lamar Jackson, um, he's right. You know, Lamar did lead the NFL in touchdown passes. Wasn't like he couldn't throw the football. Okay. Wasn't like he couldn't throw it. He did. The year he won the most valuable player award. I think that's the year he won over 1,200 yards rushing and had like 36 TD passes. They won a shitload of games too. I think they won 14 ball games. He was a unanimous MVP, all of that. So uh, that take makes me look at, okay. And the one thing I said to him, and the one thing I said to him compared to say, Josh Allen and Lamar. I think he's smarter. And Phil even said it. He goes, man, Lamar plays with just a reckless abandon and how he plays the game and his aggressive style. Would you not say this? I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is not an aggressive ball player, but wouldn't we say this? Jalen Hurts is more of a patient player. He's more of a patient guy. Then he is an uh, overly aggressive man. Lamar is just hammering, hammering, hammering. You know what I mean? He's hammering. Jalen, I think lets the game come to him a little more. 
I mean, he he just lets the game. And I mean, Lamar is like a hammer. Jalen's more willing to let the game come to him. To me, I think that I think that's what what the separation is with him and Josh Allen and Lamar. I think those guys are fabulous talents too, like Phil does. But end of the game, you know, you, you got to play the game smart. All right. Good Friday. I hope everybody has a blessed day. Easter on Sunday, obviously. Masters this weekend. I pray that Tiger makes the cut. Looks like plus two is going to be around the cutoff point, the projected cut. I hope he makes it because after that, not real interested in watching dudes run around chasing a white golf ball. Thank you very much. However, I pray he makes it. God bless everybody. Thank you guys so much. Happy Easter to all you guys. I really appreciate it. Xander, Big Joe, thank you. Tone, you do such a spectacular job for all the shows here on Jacob Sports. Um, you can check out the Twitter page and also at Dan Salio Show. We thank you so much. God bless you. Till Monday, 3 to 6 Eastern. We'll see you on the flip side. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit.